Did you get more wood? Oh, yeah. You are now listening to Blast Burn Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blast Burn Radio. I am your host, Jolly by Nature, and with me, as always, are our finale boys, our victorious co-hosts, Celeste and Messer Engine. Uh, thanks for joining me today, guys. How's it going? It's going good. Well, I mean, we did it. We made it to the end. I can just, after tonight, I can say goodbye to Jodo until Heart Gold Soul Silver. Yeah, today's going a lot better. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bittersweet thing. Like, I, this series was really long. Like, we knew going in that it was going to be really long. Like, the, these games are big, big games, but it feels long. Like, it, it feels like it's past time to move on to something new. And that feels good. But at the same time, like, Johto's fucking dope. I'm, I've been listening to the, the Pokemon reorchestrated, uh, Johto Legends album literally all day. And like, it's making me all like sad and nostalgic. I realized as I was uploading my team to Pokemon Showdown for tonight's showdown that unless something funny happens, like that's the last time I'm booting that save file up. Like, I have no reason to revisit it. And so I got all feely. Aww. But legit though, that uh that Pokemon Reorchestrated album is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they they all are. They do excellent, excellent work. If you haven't listened to that yet, either the uh the Kanto Symphonies or the Johto Legends, definitely check those out. They're very worth the listen. Alright, so guys, it's it's been a week since we last recorded, as is the norm around these parts of the inner tubes. Um it was a uh, it was an eventful week, I guess is the best way to put it, because of course it was our finale week and we did all sorts of new and different and exciting things here on the show. Um, and it also actually freed up a, a, a for me at least, a, a larger than normal block of, of free time. And I use free with quotations, if you can really consider time that I spend working on other parts of the podcast free time. But there you go. Um, but, but that was me. And how about you guys? How was your week this week? This week was really kind of interesting because I was traveling for work. So I had Monday and like half of Tuesday off because I was going to rack up, you know, 40 plus hours in the, like the two and a half days that I was going to be gone. So I had a, a late start to the work week, and then I traveled down to Connecticut for a convention uh, at Mohegan Sun Casino, um, which is a beautiful place. Like, it, if you've never been there, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the casino is highly stylized and very aesthetically pleasing, but there's, like, money coming out of the walls there. Like, it, it is the pinnacle of excess. So that was really interesting because I'm a pretty normal down to earth kind of guy. I'm not surrounded by money on a regular basis. So being somewhere where like everybody had money, like gratuitous amounts of money, and they were just bleeding it into slot machines and craps tables and all this other stuff was just, it just blew my mind. But all in all, the, the convention was good. We we definitely got a bunch done while we were there. We got some FaceTime with some partners we don't get to see very often uh, from the West Coast. 
So that was really cool. Uh, and then we headed back Thursday, and I had the rest of Thursday and Friday off uh, because no one wants to pay me, you know, 20-plus hours of overtime on the week. So, yeah, I had a short week. It was an interesting week, and here we are at the weekend. So, yeah, that was my week. Yeah, my week was pretty good. Work was pretty calm this week, thankfully, so I didn't really have anything to do. Other than normal stuff, getting requests done, and there was no big issue. So work was boring. The problem arised on Thursday where I went out to Thai with all my coworkers. It was a new Thai place that we wanted to try. And I got pad Thai, which normally doesn't mess my stomach up. And I don't know what went wrong, but my stomach from Thursday until this morning was just, for lack of a better word, destroyed. And so it kind of ruined the entire weekend, or not weekend, but half the weekend, I guess. Thankfully, today I'm feeling better, and tomorrow I'm going dress shopping for my wedding, which is really exciting. Oh, and that's my week. man. That's super exciting. That is really, really exciting. Congratulations, Celeste. We're very happy for you. Thanks. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that you guys had a had a good, if, if different, week. Uh, my week was really, really busy. To, to part the kimono just a, a little bit, there's a lot of, of prep work that I put into uh, each of our game series, a, a lot of research, a lot of, of things uh, of that nature. And despite the Gold, Silver, Crystal series being really long, uh, a variety of real life factors put me really behind on that work, things like the holidays. And so I've been just like struggling to cram the rest of it in before we're actually due to start so that we can give you guys a really good experience. So I actually canceled my streams this week and I'm sorry for that guys, but I spent that time instead cramming in that good, good work into Blastburn Radio Series 3 so that we can continue to produce uh, what I hope at least is high quality content for you guys. I am... A little bit overwhelmed <laughs> because I have been putting in so many hours and so much effort, uh, but I'm also very excited. I, I feel like our Ruby Sapphire Emerald series is going to be the best season of Blastburn Radio yet, but we're not there yet. We're on the finale of Generation 2, so I'm going to stop talking about Gen 3 because – I mean, this is, this is it, guys. This is way more exciting than anything coming forward. Like, this is, this is the finale. This is when we find out who's walking away with that trophy. And it would probably Messer Engine, but at this point, it's not out of the realm of possibility that there could be an upset. So I'm really, really hyped to be recording this tonight with you guys. Other than that, the only other big thing for me this week was that, uh, we had my wife's birthday party last night. Uh, I made a ton of food and almost everyone that we invited wound up canceling for various reasons because life happens. I get that. We're all adults. We're all adulting. Uh, so instead of having a big game night like we had planned, it turned into uh, the two of us and one of our friends picking out, eating all the food that I had made for a group of approximately 10 uh, and watching old Power Rangers episodes on Netflix and making fun of the 90s. So it was, it was good times. <laughs> well, you know, it's really funny because you, I didn't think about it at the time. I was a kid. Uh, but, you know, when I was growing up, everyone was like, oh, the 80s had such a distinctive style. And it was true. Like, you could see it in the photos and everything else. And I haven't really thought about the 90s since I was a kid. And recently, with doing this project and listening to The Morphin Grid, I've started to look back at some of the shows from that time and, and things that were happening then. And the 90s definitely has its own distinct style, too. And I just shake my head and go, what the fuck? <laughs> just legit, what the fuck? 
Yeah, I lived through it, and I really don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that was our week. Uh, but, again, that's not really what you guys are here for. We know what you're here for. We're all excited for it. So let's go ahead and jump into it. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves and jump into our Week in Nuzlocke gameplay, we do, of course, want to give you guys the Pokemon news. And there actually is pokemon news to go over this week this was apparently the week of Sinnoh. Uh, there is a fair amount of pokemon news and almost all of it touches on the Sinnoh region that we explored in pokemon diamond pearl and platinum in some way uh, which is lending hype to the vocal community which is praying to arceus for generation 4 remakes uh, or you know perhaps it's just a clever tie-in marketing for the year of legendaries events uh, who's to say either way let's go ahead and jump into this week's pokemon news here is the poke news the poke news all right guys so as i just alluded to and as we've previously discussed here on the podcast the pokemon company's year of legendaries events are here and the first giveaway in this series is currently live starting yesterday friday on february 2nd and continuing through the end of the month here in north america you can stop by your local GameStop store to pick up a giveaway code for this event these codes will net you a legendary pokemon and which legendary varies depending on your game version in Pokemon Moon or Ultra Moon, the code redeems for a Dialga, and in Pokemon Sun or Ultra Sun, it redeems for a Palkia. These Pokemon come at level 60 in the base Pokemon Sun and Moon games, or at level 100 and holding a gold bottle cap in the Ultra Sun and Moon versions. Uh, again, this giveaway is live through the end of the month, February 28th, and codes received remain valid through May 28th. So if you get your code this month, even if you forget to redeem it, you have several months to do so. Uh, so be sure to stop by your local GameStop store and get a free Legendary, because that's dope. Yeah, I'll definitely be stopping by to do that. Probably next weekend? Probably next weekend. Yeah. Also starting on yesterday, February the 2nd, was the release of the newest Pokemon TCG set, which is called Ultra Prism. Uh, this is the fifth set in the Pokemon Sun and Moon series. It introduces 173 new cards, and they primarily consist of various Pokemon native to the Sinnoh region, uh, a few new Pokemon GX, and six of the brand new Prism Star cards. Uh, now, Prism Stars are a new mechanic, and essentially they're extremely powerful cards that you can only have one of in your deck, and once they're spent, they go to the Lost Zone. We Yu-Gi-Oh! and now, boys, get in the Phantom Zone! <laughs> the Lost Zone is a special discard pile that you cannot retrieve from with any mechanics. So any cards that let you retrieve from your discard pile cannot reach into the Lost Zone. The set does, of course, introduce two new theme decks. Uh, one is called Mock Strike, which is a fighting and dragon-type deck, which is themed around Garchomp, and Imperial Command, a water-type deck, which is themed around Empoleon. That Piplup deck? I am ridiculously excited for that Piplup deck. I love the shit out of Piplup. All right, and concluding, uh, rounding out our Sinnoh-themed news, uh, this past Tuesday on January the 30th, the February Global Link Tournament was announced. Uh, the tournament is titled the Ultra Sinnoh Classic, and it will be a 6 versus 6 singles tournament where players can only use Pokemon that were in the Sinnoh Regional Pokedex. Uh, Alolan Forms, Mega Stones, and Z-Moves are all banned, as well as Sinnoh Regional Cover Legendaries and Mythics. 
So you can't use Dialga or Palkia, despite the fact that they're giving them away. Uh, you can't use Giratina, you can't use Arceus, etc. Uh, enrollment for this tournament will be open from February the 15th to February the 22nd, and the tournament will be live from the 23rd through the 25th. Once again, all participating trainers will be rewarded with 50 in-game BP. Now, I have to say personally, these are probably my favorite kind of Global Link tournaments, just because they encourage you to to use a different meta, to go back and use old friends that the metagame may have left behind along the way due to power creep and, and neat new things. Um, and, and it can just make Pokemon that, that really don't see play anymore still feel really useful. So I enjoy that personally. So yeah, have fun using your old Sinnoh friends, guys, and get that BP. Don't maintain surf. Go fight. <laughs> All right, and lastly, as far as Pokemon community news is concerned, a new trailer for Pokemon Go was released this week, a new cinematic trailer. Uh, this wasn't like a, a series announcement. There were no new features or releases introduced in this trailer. It was just a really nice cinematic showcasing the Hoenn native Pokemon, and it's it's just really good. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's going to get you hyped for our Gen 3 series. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Seriously, go go watch it right now. And I just have to point out that it's narrated by Stephen fucking Fry. How much did the Pokemon company or Niantic have to pay to get Stephen Fry to narrate a trailer about fucking Pokemon? (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Now, moving out of Pokemon news and into our Blastburn Radio community news, uh, registration is now closed for the first ever Blastburn Radio Invitational Monotype Tournament. Uh, we closed registration with eight signed up competitors and types and tournament bracket have been assigned. Uh, so good luck to all of our competitors. Matches will most likely extend into Sunday next weekend, just depending on how speedy our boys are. So we may or may not have a winner to announce yet when we're recording next week's episode of the podcast, but we will definitely let you guys know once a winner has been crowned and give them all the praise here on Blastburn Radio. I, I have to say, guys, personally, I'm a little trepidatious. I, I drew Dragon on the type draw, which is a really, really strong monotype. I don't mean to sound ungrateful at all, but Penguin Mage drew fairy, so I'm kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah, that should be fun for you. I drew rock, so that's going to be legit interesting. <laughs> I drew normal, and thankfully normal counters have a lot of uh, things that normal types can do to them to break those counters, so... Normal has a lot of really interesting dual type options. Like normal is a very underrated solid type. It should be a lot of fun. Like I'm really looking forward to playing with and against you guys. And again, this is only the first of many to come. So definitely look forward to that. So I just want to touch on this very, very briefly, um, just because I feel like it kind of demonstrates a point that I have. There were some supposed leaks for the Generation 8 Pokemon games this week. There was some images leaked that supposedly depicted the next set of starters. And, you know, like it's it's fun to talk about those things, and, and I enjoy it as much as anybody. In fact, I was talking to some of our people in the Discord about it, but we don't cover them as news here on Blastburn Radio. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because they're so often false. And in this case, that, you know, quote-unquote leak wasn't even out in the ether for 72 hours before the guy who made those images was 
uh, located and admitted to it. So they're very, very fake. Um, and a lot of people got their hopes up really, really high. You know, major YouTubers were making big videos about this new leak and what it could mean for Pokemon. And they were just total bupkis. So if you ever see something really cool that's, you know, been leaked or, or, um, just it is unconfirmed news and you're just like man why aren't they covering that on the show like that's really important and really cool that's that's the biggest reason why it's not the only reason but it's the biggest we want you guys to know that when we tell you something in the pokemon news we are as sure of it as humanly possible so yeah hashtag journalistic integrity in pokemon <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so that's our Pokemon community news for this week. So let's go ahead and dive right into the main event. Let's talk about our Nuzlocke challenge, our final week of our Generation 2 Nuzlocke series. Uh, so this was, of course, the 11th and final week of Generation 2 uh, Nuzlocke World Challenge gameplay. Technically, it extended more than 11 weeks, but we had 11 weeks where we actually played. Um, our competitors have explored two regions. We have taken on 16 total gems. We have captured many friends, and we have suffered brutal losses to arrive at this point, the apex of our challenge. The goal before our heroes this week was clear. Prepare and train our teams, ascend Mount Silver, and challenge the grand champion himself, Red. This week, our host did something very special with our gameplay. We participated in the first ever Blastburn Radio multi-stream for our Nuzlocke gameplay. We streamed together on Sunday as we leveled and prepared our teams, and we prepared for Red together. We'll go in discussing our gameplay in the order that we challenged Red, and Celeste was the first to ascend the mountain. So, Celeste... How was your Nuzlocke gameplay this week? This week was a lot of fun, just because the multi-stream made things a lot more interesting. Uh, leveling is a lot more fun when you have two people in Discord to actually talk to while doing the leveling. And there were no big incidents or anything, uh, even though I took some risks and leveled in Mount Silver, trying to get those really low shiny chances of a shiny Larvitar to replace the Larvitar that I... <laughs> Killed with Bubble Beam, but um, I really didn't think it was going to happen. You know, Shinies are low chance, but the game has shown otherwise that they're not super low. Um, as far as leveling, it went really smoothly. The hardest part of the night was going through Mount Silver without Flash and getting to Red after leveling. That actually took uh, probably, what, five to ten minutes just trying to navigate it. Once I got through that into Red, I had a strategy of just feeding my Marowak all the drugs. <laughs> and it worked. Marowak outsped and swept all of Red's Pokemon with no risks to himself at all. And that ended my week. It was pretty quick. That Marowak is the fucking Barry Bonds of Pokemon. <laughs> like, you, you ascend to the Hall of Fame, Celeste, but you do so with an asterisk by your name for doping. I just hope you're aware oh, of that. Whatever. <laughs> That's great, Celeste. I'm I'm really glad that you ended your series on a positive note. And and yeah, it was a lot of fun doing the stream together. Um, so I was the next to challenge Red, which is kind of funny actually because I started so much later than you guys in team prep. Uh, and there are a couple of reasons for that, but I started so much later than you guys first and foremost because of some very scary circumstances on my end. So, Mess and Celeste started streaming just around 7 o'clock on Sunday. And, you know, that's a little bit early for me. I've got small kids. I have to really get them in bed before I can get on most of the time. Because if not, there's going to be toddlers screaming in the background. And 
just a whole lot of bad there. It's just better for everybody if I get the kiddos in bed first. So that was my plan. And I was rushing to get it done. You know, not, not to be mean and like just throw my kids in bed and be like, go the fuck to sleep. I got Pokemon play. Um, <laughs> but you know, not to, not to waste time, not to dilly dally, not to drag my feet so I could get on and join you guys. And for the most part, I was pretty successful. Uh, my kids, generally speaking, are early to bed, early to rise by nature anyway. So I had them in bed at like 7.30, 7.45. So I was like, all right, I'm going to eat a quick bite of dinner and I'm going to hop on. I'll be on by 8.15. This will be good. I won't be that far behind. It'll be great. I hurried up and ate, kissed my wife, ran downstairs, and booted up uh, OBS, the stream software, and I couldn't get any sound to come through it. So I'm like, well, fuck. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I probably, you know, OBS can be a little glitchy sometimes. I was like, I should probably just reboot my computer. And it decided it was Windows Update time. And it froze in the Windows Update. So I'm just sitting here going, fuck, 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 load, 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 load. And it wouldn't do it. It was just giving me that screen saying, well, you know, 100% loaded. Do not turn your computer off. It can corrupt your system. And finally, I was just like, I, I can't sit here and wait all night. It's been like a half an hour. And I went ahead and I powered it down. Despite the big flashing letters telling me, do not turn your fucking computer off. I turned my fucking computer off. And that actually, that did it. So apparently it was just goddamn lying to me, <laughs> but I, I finally turned it back off and turned it back on. It loaded properly. Um, I had to sit through a million and a half junk programs loading and close them all again because Jolly is bad with computers. Um, and then finally I was able to get everything up and jump into the multi-stream with you guys. Now I leveled really, really quickly somewhere in the pro in the early process of my grind, my Pokemon caught Pokerus, which was super hype. Uh, if you're not familiar with Pokerus, it is a very, very rare virus that Pokemon can carry. The, the odds of encountering Pokerus are actually lower than the odds of encountering a shiny, naturally. So it's not a common thing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Pokemon that acquire Pokerus have it for, I believe, 72 hours. And during those 72 hours, they gain EXP and stat experience, or what later becomes known as uh, effort values, at a greatly increased rate while it's active. So yeah, my Pokemon got Pokerus, and thus we're leveling super duper quickly. So despite starting the stream two hours after Celeste and Messer Engine did, I was still the second one ready to tackle Red. And... I made some some oopses. I took my Hoot Hoot Gibson out of the bank to fly to a nearby town to purchase some items. I don't even remember what items I was looking for, to be entirely honest with you. Uh, but I went to go get some items, and then I came back, and I forgot to put Gibson back in the PC. So I walked all the way through Mount Silver in the dark, got to Red, went to look at my party one last time, said, Oh shit, I have this stupid fucking bird. I'm not bringing it to PvP this week. Had to walk back through the mountain, put the bird back in the PC, and get my real party out. So <laughs> that was a thing that I did. Um, but I finally got my proper party all laid out in front of me, and I went and I took on the big man himself. Um, now, Red does, of course, lead with his Pikachu. And unlike Celeste, I did not have a powerful ground type on the team to lead with and just render that Pikachu utterly neutered. So I had to do something different instead. So I led with Columbia, who actually outsped. Despite being 10 levels under Red's Pikachu, Columbia still outsped and put it to sleep. So that was hype. So I put it to sleep. 
I set up uh, Leech Seed and I switched into Salty the Houndoom. Salty set up Sun and started to put in work. So Salty one shot Red's Pikachu. After his Pikachu went down, Red switched into his Blastoise, which was terrifying, frankly, uh, that he brought in the big, scary water turtle against my frail little fire doggo. Uh, but I had the strong sunlight up, so I was confident that I could live for at least one turn and get off that single turn solar beam. So that's what I went for. I had Salty send out her sun laser, uh, which did about 90% to the Blastoise, did a huge chunk of his health, but didn't take him out. Uh, fortunately, Blastoise actually went for the rain dance, uh, taking away the sun, setting up rain, which would be scary if he wasn't already almost dead. Uh, I went for Crunch on the following turn and finished the Blastoise off. So at this point, I am 2-0 and and feeling pretty good. At this point, Red sends in his Espeon, which can do literally nothing against Salty. So that was hype. Um, I went ahead and set the sun back up, uh, so I wasn't using my fire dog in the rain, because that's unfortunate. Uh, and Espeon just used Reflect, because it really had nothing else. And then it died to a crunch as well on the following turn. So 3-0 at this point, things are looking really, really good. And that's when Red sends out his Snorlax. And in what is probably the defining turn of the fight, this fight would have gone very differently if this turn had gone differently. Uh, I had Salty go for a Fire Blast in the sun against the fresh Snorlax, and it missed. And Snorlax set up Amnesia, boosting its special defense. Uh, on the following turn, I had Salty go for the Fire Blast again, but with that boosted special defense, it did so little damage. We're talking less than a quarter health on a Fire Blast in the sun from a Houndoom. And Snorlax hit back with Body Slam, which crit and almost killed Salty. Took it down to 17%, which was terrifying. So at this point, I hastily switched into Mojito, uh, and my thought process was that Mojito's a big fat boy, and he could stall out the Snorlax for a little bit. So I set up Toxic on the Snorlax, and then just sat there using Synthesis, uh, keeping Mojito up and healthy, waiting for that Toxic damage to really rack up and take out the Snorlax. I wasn't counting on Red Snorlax having rest, however. I knew that, I just wasn't thinking about it, and it eventually rested off the toxic and all of the damage. So at that point, it was pretty damn clear that, that Mojito was not going to be like a, a real long-term answer for this monster. He just didn't have the offensive presence. So I used a, a full restore to heal up uh, our good friend Salty, uh, just in case we needed her down the road, and I switched into Columbia. Uh, I was really torn on where to switch, but my thought process was that Columbia could status the Snorlax, put it to sleep, give it that leech seed, that good old Johto special, and then I could switch into Sazerac and Sazerac could finish the job set up and put in work uh, so I switched into Columbia I set up Leech Seed and then the unthinkable happened Snorlax woke up it body slammed it crit and it took Columbia out just one murderous hit and it was devastating like I I couldn't even think I could hardly breathe Columbia had been so incredibly good for this entire run, and to lose her at the very end like that was brutal. But 
her final act did serve its purpose. We brought in Sazerac at that point, and Sazerac started to set up the curses. And with the leech seed recovery on top of the curses, that Snorlax was doing nothing to Sazerac. Set up four stacks of curse, and at that point, we just swept. Uh, one hit KOing all of Red's remaining Pokemon. The only remaining scary point was when Red's Venusaur came out, it set up the sunny day. And then when Charizard came in on the following turn, it used a flamethrower. So sunny day boosted flamethrower was still potentially threatening and scary, but it couldn't do anything to Sazerac. It still didn't even take him to half health. He took it like a champ, hit Red back hard in return, and came out a champion. Uh, we had done it. We had paid a heavy, heavy blood price, but we beat the grand champion himself and became masters and legends in our own right. We've done it. We've completed what is almost certainly going to be our longest series ever. I don't think we'll ever quite match the length of it. Uh, and it was, it was good, but it was also really sad because not everybody made it through. But, that was my week of gameplay. And at that point, I ended the stream and I hung out in Discord for a little bit and I watched our good boy Mess as he finished his preparations. So Mess Buddy, why don't you tell us about it? How was your week in Nuzlocke this week? I mean, it was good. I started before everybody and ended up going to Red last. For whatever reason, my version of the emulator just at 200% speed up which is what we had agreed upon for uh, the grind to 72, just was not as fast as Celeste's or Jolly's. So I was like way behind. There was like 30 minutes of technical difficulties as I tried to figure that out. So I ended up going to Fight Red last, and I ended up grinding till midnight. So from 6 p.m. Eastern time to midnight, I was grinding pretty much nonstop. And by the time... That we got there, I was exhausted, which is never, never a good way to play Nuzlocke. We we have many times over the course of two seasons seen how that can be disastrous. But I was determined to get it done because my two co-hosts had finished and it would be a shame for me not to finish the same night. So I also did not want to teach anyone Flash and then bring it to PvP. So we... Wandered around in the dark, which was really hard for me, for whatever reason. I couldn't... I don't know if it was because I was tired or just legitimately I'm blind as a bat and couldn't, like, match up the map to what I was doing. But it, it was really difficult. And then I got through it and realized I had done the same thing as Jolly and brought my friggin' flyer, my fly slave. Or he brought Hoot Hoot with us. So I had to go back, <laughs> drop him in the bank, and make that long trek through the dark one more time. I was really concerned, particularly about Red's Pikachu, because just like Jolly, I don't have a good ground type on the team just to ignore everything that it can do. And that little bastard is like holding, what is it, a light orb? Yeah, light ball. Makes its uh, special attack like legitimately threatening. So what we decided was we were going to put Kamal in, who was going to resist those electric attacks. Uh, and we were just going to punch, fire punch Pikachu to death. And that actually worked out pretty well. Red used all of his full restores trying to keep Pikachu from death. So that was a boon throughout the rest of the match. And eventually we punched Pikachu to death. 
and out came the Espeon, the, the secondary threat we were really concerned about uh, because we had no real good answer to it. And that thing is a glass cannon. Like, it wrecks things. So we left, we took a risk. We, le- we left Kamal in, and I thundered, and it crit and killed it in one hit. I've never been so happy for my sheared electric sheep in my entire life. Kamal did an amazing job. That Ampharos bulk and damage was just amazing. When we had to deal with Snorlax, uh, we actually were in a much better position to deal with Snorlax because we had two really good options. We had Casimir, who's Ghost, and his Snorlax doesn't have a way to hurt Casimir at all. Like, there's zero threat, but it knows amnesia. So us hurting it was very unlikely. Uh, we switched into Casimir when Snorlax came out, and as we expected, it amnesiaed and amnesiaed and amnesiaed. Uh, and I just tried to put it to sleep until it was napping, and then we switched into Mertry, who cross-chopped once and put that thing in the grave. So Mertry earned his keep here at the end of all things. He just did the chop, the chop-chop, and Snorlax was dead. Dealing with... The others was not too, too bad. We decided to deal with the Charizard with uh, our water Pokemon. Burden, in particular, if if memory serves. And that wasn't too terrible. Venusaur was the real problem for us, which, fuck my life. I, I never, ever consider Venusaur to be, like, the big threat of the original three starters. But that thing got Sunny Day off. And just sat there solar beaming over and over and over again. So we just sat there on Burden. And we let him hit us. And we healed up. And we let him hit us. And we healed up. And every time we got the opportunity, we used Dragon's Breath. Slowly brought it down and it would use, what is it, Synthesis? And go back up. Uh, It was a war of attrition, but eventually it's one that Venusaur lost. Uh, it went down, and out came the Blastoise. We brought Kamal back out, and just as we thought, the Blastoise rain danced, and then we th- we thundered because it's not going to miss, and Blastoise was down. So Red got thoroughly spanked, and we were super happy and super tired, and it's over. I did it. I made it to the end. It was super exciting. Bobby didn't see any any play in the finale, uh, which was kind of disappointing considering how... Uh, crucial she's been these last couple weeks but yeah i felt so relieved and the way that the the point spread has fallen i will not be wearing the doof hat in season three so i took that off and i threw it across the room i'm done with that for at least eight to nine weeks so yeah yeah super happy well i i hope you put it someplace warm for me mess because i feel like it's calling my fucking name well, it does have a face and a mouth. <laughs> I, I imagine it's just going to start talking, but it's not going to like say Badoof like it should. It's just going to like talk in like a really sweet, high pitched voice. It's just going to be like, "Hello, friend. <laughs> I want to be your buddy." If it starts doing that, I I'm legit turning your stream off and never booting it up again. That hat will be burned. <laughs> it will be burned by fire. Be purged. Oh shit. Yeah, it was it was a roller coaster of an evening. Um again, I'm I'm really happy that we all finished. I'm really happy that we all finished together and that we all got to experience each other's 
ending. I'm really salty about the way that mine ended, but you know, I mean, it was always on the table. Like red is always a threat. And it just so happened that I was the one who paid that butcher's bill. You know, it was really weird for those of you listening. We were all on, on voice chat talking while we were doing our gameplay, but we stopped to watch each other face red, but because of the stream delay, we couldn't really see what was happening while we were hearing the host talk about what was happening. So when Columbia was killed prior to that, we just heard Jolly saying, no, 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 no. And we didn't know what fucking happened. So in, in for another like 30 seconds. So that was like super stressful. We were like, what happened? Uh, while we're all thinking of the PVP fight being like, are we going to have to deal with one less competitor? Maybe. Uh, and that turned out to be the case. It was the same thing when Salty almost died. That that good good Houndoom though. Like Salty has been Salty has been quietly like a really good fucking girl. You know you know what I realized today when I was entering my team in for PvP, which just fucking blew my mind. It was baffling to me. Salty has the highest physical attack on my team. My my special attacking sweeper, my monster of a special attacker, has the highest physical attack on my team. On this dog, we shall build our kingdom. Isn't that what you said a couple weeks ago? Yep. Upon this dog, I shall build my kingdom. <laughs> and build my kingdom, I did. <laughs> All right. Well, that was that was our gameplay, not just for the week, but for the series. That was the cornerstone of the last three months of our Blastburn Radio, of our Pokemon Lives. Um, so as with our Generation 1 series, before we started our gameplay in Gold, Silver, and Crystal, we did sit down and discuss our memories and impressions of the Generation 2 Pokemon games. That was back in Episode 15, if you want to listen to it and get a refresher. Uh, for most of us, however, it had been decades since we last picked up these titles. And so much has changed for us as people, as well as within, you know, video games in general and Pokemon as a franchise, that we definitely want to re-explore whether those initial impressions hold up to our recent gameplay experience. Um, now let's start with uh, you, Celeste. Uh, in our intro episode, you indicated that Gold and Silver were your least favorite Pokemon games. So you did indicate that this wasn't due to them being bad titles, but more that you hadn't put a ton of time and energy into them due to other games and preferences in your life at the time. So coming into the series without a ton of preconceptions or emotional ties, how do you feel about Pokemon Crystal after your recent playthrough? I actually really enjoyed it for a lot of reasons. I really like the Gen 2 Pokemon. I never used the Whooper before, always thought it like, I discounted it back in the past. It's like, ah, that doesn't look like anything. And picking one up this series and leveling it to a Cragsire and basically loving it and then having it die was very disappointing. But it was still one of the coolest Pokemon I could have had on my team. It was really neat. Water Ground is such an interesting typing. That Wooper stands out. As far as the game gameplay, there's some issues. It's a bit longer. It does make the world seem bigger, but the length is just grueling after a while especially once you get to kanto and the difficulty it doesn't seem consistent it spikes so all the trainers as you're walking around for the most part are nothing at this point in the game but as soon as you get to a gym leader the difficulty just spikes and you have a chance of losing it's crazy i, I would have I would have liked to see a more flat like 
approach as you go to certain gyms in Kanto that the trainers on the way to those gyms would be a little bit more difficult. The dogs were another big glaring issue for me. Chasing down those legendary dogs is ridiculous. It's all luck and prediction and trying to run through gates without moving them too much. And another big issue was some routes had two gates. So if you move trying to go to the route where the dog was, that gate would basically screw you because the dog would move twice before you even got over there. So that was very frustrating. And the other thing is, is it didn't really affect me in my gameplay, but having a legendary gated behind catching those three dogs, I could see that being very frustrating as well. Because if you accidentally kill one of the dogs or for some reason you can't catch it and you just never get to see ho Playing through without the Nuzlocke rules just by myself, I would have been pissed off at that. I like the gym's designs a lot, especially the Johto gems. I feel like they had some really interesting tactics to use, as well as decent AI, not the best. But really, what really surprised me is when I fought Misty, I did not expect her to switch out her Lapras when using Parish Song. And that caught me off guard, and I was really impressed that they actually put that in the AI. So that was really cool. As far as my least favorite Pokemon game, I can't say I have one at the moment. I mean, Gen 1 is Gen 1. It's all nostalgia-based. I guess it's equivalent with Gen 2 now for me. But I've only played 1, 2, 5, and 6 and 7 a little bit. So, yeah, I guess I'll be saying what my least favorite is when we're done with this challenge. (laughs) I guess that's it for me. Awesome. Thank you, Celeste. Uh, I think I'll go next. Uh, so for myself, back in episode 15, I mostly talked about the period of anticipating these games and their release. Because when I think back to remember, that really is what stands out the strongest in my memory about them. Uh, more even than the experience of playing them back when I was 13 or 14. I do remember, however, that my opinion of them at the time was overwhelmingly positive, And I just felt like they did nothing but build and improve on the systems that they introduced with Red and Blue. Overall, after our series, that impression is, is mostly intact. Silver is a very natural progression and sequel of Red and Blue, and it introduced a lot of new elements that overall just positively impacted the experience. So for me, the the positives of the Generation 2 Pokemon games, they are the largest feeling Pokemon world to date. Like, and that holds true to modern games. Like, the the, the world of Gold, Silver, and Crystal, the combined regions of Johto and Kanto feel huge. And that's great. Like it, it makes for a, a game that feels really good to play. Um, it just feels like there's so much to explore and that's fantastic. Now that suffers and fails a little bit in the minute, like Johto by itself. If you cut off Kanto and all the Kanto gems and red and all that other stuff and just consider the eight gems and the Pokemon league as the game, Johto is a really small region and the Generation 2 version of Kanto is shrunk and kind of dumbed down for, for obvious system limitational issues. So that's kind of unfortunate, but when you view them together as a package, as they were meant to be viewed, it's a really big fucking game. And that feels good. It feels good to play. And it was breathtaking when it was new. It was like mind shattering that these games were so big and that there was all this new stuff to do. And then all the old stuff that you had done before to do again, it was great. And it's still great. I love it. There were great mechanical upgrades between generations one and two that make these feel like 
better and more natural games, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, again, things that we talked about in episode 15, like some moves having more logical typings and um, speed and crit no longer being tied to each other to such a lulzy and exploitative degree. Things like that just feel good. A lot of the new moves that introduce new mechanics that are really valuable and work together in really cool strategic ways. Like it Pokemon battling in Generation 2 feels more like a strategy game than it did in Generation 1. It's still not up to snuff with like modern competitive Pokemon because of course it's not, but you there, there's more using moves to set up future moves to ensure victory and it feels good. Johto itself is a very well-designed region and it feels very distinct from Kanto without feeling out of place in the context of those two regions being neighboring, if that makes any amount of sense. Like Johto has an entirely different aesthetic feel from Kanto, but they still feel like they exist in the same place. And that was, I think, honestly, probably a pretty difficult balance to strike, but they struck it really fucking well. And... The Pokedex of Generation 2 is incredibly well designed. Uh, the Pokemon feel like Pokemon, which as we get into later generations, isn't always the case, or at least it wasn't at the time. I feel like even most of the ones that I didn't like when they were new have grown on me over time, but there have certainly been times when new Pokemon were introduced and I was like, that doesn't look or feel to me like a Pokemon. And that's not true of any of the Generation 2 Pokedex. Those are fucking Pokemon. And they supplement the Pokedex really well without overshadowing the existing 151. And I feel like that was an important balance to strike. You know, a lot of the original Pokemon are just so overshadowed by power creep at this point 20 years later in Generation 7. But in Generation 2, I mean, most of the new Pokemon introduced weren't even necessarily competitive with the original 151. They were more like filler to fluff out the decks. And I have mixed feelings about that, but I do appreciate the fact that they clearly took pains to not make the originals irrelevant. I appreciate that. And then to top it all off, the Generation 2 games have what remains, in my opinion, the best Pokemon soundtrack to date. Like, the music in Generation 2 is just fucking fantastic. Uh, the National Park theme is probably my favorite track in any Pokemon game. Uh, but there's other really good ones, too. Sprout Tower, uh, the Ecruteak City song, the Gold and Silver ending theme, all the battle themes. They're just all really, really good. And I just, I can't express how deeply I love it enough. 10 out of 10 best music in a Pokemon game, in, in Jolly's opinion. It's not all positive. Uh, my two biggest complaints about Red and Blue, actually, are, if anything, worse in Generation 2. Uh, the EXP scaling in Generation 2 is probably the worst it has ever been in a Pokemon game, and it makes the grind almost unbearable in some places. Uh, as far as, you know... Gym leaders and important trainers having Pokemon up into the high 50s and wild Pokemon you're encountering are in their teens and 20s. It's just, it's ridiculous and it makes it so unnecessarily hard to keep up. 
Likewise, the, the distribution of wild Pokemon is, is really unfortunate in some places. I am particularly disappointed that newly introduced generation two Pokemon, such as Houndour, Murkrow, and Slugma are only encounterable in Kanto when they weren't there the first time we were there, obviously. In the post game, and they're at such a low level when you capture them that they're incredibly unattractive as actual team options at that late stage of the game. Um, and that's always true of some Pokemon and Pokemon games. There are going to be Pokemon that you catch so late in the game that it doesn't feel worthwhile to use them in a story playthrough. But I feel like in Generation 2, that problem is as bad as it ever is. And a lot of that has to do with the levels that you catch them. I am highly disappointed with the reliance on tradeback features for so many things in Generation 2. Like, I, I get the intent from a game design standpoint and, like, a, a business standpoint. They wanted to make these games feel connected to Red and Blue, and they also wanted to drive sales of copies of Red, Blue, and Yellow to people who maybe didn't play them when they were new. But making items and moves, especially important TMs that were so plentiful in Red and Blue extremely rare or entirely non-existent in gold and silver just feels like really bad game design. And, and frankly, it makes them feel like incomplete games. This is, this particular problem is at its worst when we're discussing the elemental evolution stones, which were a vendor purchasable item in red and blue. And you can only get one of in gold and silver by jumping through a million hoops in the post game. Like that's fucking nuts. When you can catch bell sprouts and oddishes and execute all over Johto and you can't get a, a leaf stone until the post game. That's that's terrible. Now, as far as like older outdated mechanics, I, I will say that aside from some still frustratingly dated mechanics such as uh, limited item inventory, the the backwards PC interface, the lack of running shoes, uh, the generation two Pokemon games don't feel old. Uh, they don't feel like really old and dated games in the same way that Red and Blue do, if we're being honest. And that's probably the biggest testament to the strength of their design that I can really offer. Aside from the things that really frustrated me, like these are really well-made games and they hold up. Overall, I gave Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow a solid B when judging them entirely on their own merits as games, and that has to increase to an A for Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. They're, they're just better games in virtually every way you would judge a game, and even in 2018, they are still just a, a joy to play. They're really fucking fun, and if you haven't played these games in forever, pick up Crystal on Virtual Console. Just do it. It's worth the playthrough. Now... That's enough of jolly rambling about Pokemon games forever. Uh, Messer Engine, <laughs> when we asked you about your thoughts and feelings looking back at the Generation 2 games, you mostly agreed with the things that I said in our intro episode. Uh, you did state that you had been entering high school as these games were released and that you may not have given them as much time or attention as they deserved, but that overall you were impressed and thought that they were solid upgrades on the series. Uh, after this game series, how has your opinion changed? So... Coming into the series, I didn't remember these games really, really well. I was, like I said, like you just mentioned, I was in a position where I was heading into high school. I think I played through uh, the games once, uh, and it didn't have the same emotional connection for me at that time that Red and Blue did. And as a result, I was coming into these games pretty fresh. Like, from a technical standpoint, I did agree with most of the stuff that you had said in our intro episode, because from a game development standpoint, all the improvements that they made were really solid. 
but I didn't have the breadth of experience with the game to really get or report on, on a, on a feel for it, I think. So going through this gave me that perspective and I really enjoyed this series, even though it was long, even though you've heard me kind of like bitch the last couple of weeks that, Oh God, it's almost over. It's just because it's been a long series. The games are genuinely good. I didn't remember any of the gym leaders in Johto at all, what they had, what their types were. So like from week one, I was like, shit, what the hell's going on? And I was genuinely impressed that the quality of the gyms increased dramatically from red, blue, yellow, like hands down the AI. It wasn't brilliant, but it was worlds better than it was. Uh, their Pokemon rosters and move sets were dramatically more dangerous. Something that will continue to happen as the series goes on. It started here. The other cool thing about Gen 2 going through it was I got an appreciation for a lot of Gen 2 Pokemon that I just didn't have before. Like, I had never used a Crobat before this series. I had never used an Ursaring before this series. Like, and those are Pokemon that defined my team throughout the challenge. So that that was really interesting. The Pokemon from Gen 2 are really well designed, both aesthetically and technically, uh, which is really, really cool. It makes them intriguing choices for team building. And as Jolly just mentioned, they didn't completely overshadow the original uh, 150, 151. So that was really good. It made, you know, those good old Kanto staples... Uh, from the original series, still viable options. So you didn't feel like, oh, I just got to have the new stuff all the time. Getting my first shiny was really exciting. Like, I mentioned this when I caught Bobby, but the only shiny I've ever had, I got from Jolly as a as a birthday present. So finding one in game was incredibly gratifying. It felt really good. But overall, like, I, I'm really happy with the series. I can safely say that they they really kicked it into high gear for this generation and it was it was better pretty much on all cylinders than uh than red blue yellow what jolly mentioned about them being too interconnected though is is absolutely true like missing ice beam thunderbolt like those are really key like late game moves and it made team building for our challenge in particular really difficult sometimes where you just felt hamstrung for certain types because you couldn't get certain things. The evolution stones, as mentioned, was really, really bad. There were plenty of opportunities for me to catch a grass type, which I needed, let's be honest, or a good portion of the series that I just couldn't use competitively because I, there was no way for me to get it to a viable stage, which was frustrating. But yeah, all in all, it was really good. I, I really am glad that I did this series and I got to experience it again, even if it was, you know, just under 20 years later, uh, because it, I have a lot more respect uh, for this particular generation than I did uh, when I started. Well, good. I'm I'm glad. And again, I feel like we've come to the consensus that is pretty much held by by the Pokemon community at large, which is 
Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. Red and blue, but better. So, yay! Um, again, if if you haven't played these games, or if you haven't played them in forever, definitely check them out. They're on Virtual Console, so they're more accessible than, than ever right now. Um, if you have any 2DS, 3DS system. Um, of course, if you don't have a 2DS, 3DS system, there may or may not be other ways on the internet to play old Pokemon games. Of course, I would never advocate such things. But, you know, th- that may be out there for you. But definitely check them out. They're They're really, really solid titles, and we had a lot of fun playing them. Okay, so we've talked about Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal as games, but let's talk about our games, our playthroughs of these titles. We've poured the last three months of our lives into this series, and we've experienced epic highs, and we've experienced devastating lows. We have each overcome adversity, and we have achieved wonders with the help of our partners and friends. Uh, So let's take a few minutes to revisit our journey through Johto and Kanto. Uh, Messer Engine, let's start with you, buddy. Now that you're done... How do you feel about our series, uh, the team that you've built, and the adventures that you've experienced together? Um, I mean, like I just mentioned, I, I really enjoyed this series. I think I actually enjoyed it more than Red, Blue, Yellow, uh, even though I have a much stronger emotional attachment to the original games, uh, strictly because of you know the rule set changes that we made. I thought they made the series more interesting. Uh, the series felt more dangerous on a week-to-week basis, which, while stressful... Uh, was really impactful to my overall enjoyment, uh, knowing that the stakes were high every single week. And that was really good. The team that I built, you know, we talked earlier around the mid-season finale or a little before about what I thought about my team and how I had built something that was really unconventional or uncommon based off of the typings that I was using just because of the way encounters had panned out. Uh, And I think that remained true. I still didn't end up the grass type on the team, uh, as I just mentioned, which several times would have been very useful, particularly when um, Gimlet was out and being a threat. But ultimately, the Gen 2 metagame is really fascinating. I don't want to spend like an hour talking about uh, sleep talk, but it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's very stall heavy. It's who can outlast, not who can KO quicker. Even though those two things are, I guess you could technically say if you can KO quicker, that's great. But it just that playstyle doesn't lend itself as well to Gen Two. So I'm pretty happy with my team here at the end of the game. I feel that the addition of Burden and Bobby shook up our challenge significantly. Even Kamal has had some real impact on the game, both in the main game and in PvP, that para Thunder Wave status that I was missing being you know, really clutch. Uh, bringing Casimir back onto the squad late game for the benefits I got from his immunities has been really, really good. Um, so, I mean, overall, I'm really happy with my team. I, I couldn't be happier, actually. They performed really well. We were able to do... You know, almost all of the gyms in Kanto on hard mode uh, without really any problems. Uh, there were a couple scares. The grass Pokemon hate me. That Blossom, for me, was the scariest part of our Kanto Gym Leader series, which nobody would think that that was going to be the case. But yeah, I mean, when I look at how our red fights went, I feel like my team performed really, really well. Like, I wasn't all drugged up. I didn't lose anybody. I was able to just kind of sit and outstall that Venusaur. All in all, A plus to the team. They're great. I love them. 
Awesome. Uh, now, Mess, we've all experienced some heavy shakeups over the 11 weeks of gameplay that went into this series. Out of all your Pokemon friends, the ones that are currently by your side and the ones that have either unfortunately passed away or had to be relegated to the, the box, who would you say was the single most valuable player of your team? So I feel like, I feel like we've come to a crossroads again in which in, in Gen 1 when we were talking about this, I had the same exact quandary when we were doing the finale episode and I was talking about Valente and Kowal, where Kowal was this, you know, really power player early in the series, was responsible for a lot of points and a lot of my success, but Valente came in at the end and was really responsible for keeping me uh, and keeping the point total close. I feel like this series had the same dynamic with Trask and Bobby. Uh, Trask was integral to our early gameplay. You know, he saved us from the TPW at the hands of our rival in like early, early on in the series, like week one or two, week, week one, because we did Bugsy in Azalea Town. So yeah, it was week one. We we could have, like, TPW'd right there and started with, like, negative, like, 120 points. It would have been, like, the worst possible start to the series. And he pulled it out. Like, he just was like, I'm a Zubat and I'm going to do some shit. And he stayed integral throughout the first half of the series until his untimely death at the hands of a fucking Machamp, of all things, at the, the mid-season finale. But unlike last season when I gave the MVP to Kowal for that early game goodness, I really have to give it to Bobby this time around. Bobby shook up everything. Like I came out of mid season hurting. Like I had been in a huge lead throughout all of Johto. Then I lost two Pokemon in the elite four. Then I lost all my high point PVP matches. Cause I was fighting with four we were in dire straits and all of a sudden there's a shiny bear and that bear has wrecked in PVP. It has kicked the shit out of things in the main game. Like it totally changed the, the downward turn that I was on mid season. And I, I don't think that can be understated, especially since Kanto was still, like, the same amount of weeks for us that Johto was. It wasn't like Valente, who was only around for, like, two two weeks, maybe. It's been, like, four or five uh, with Bobby on the team. So, yeah, I got to give the MVP to Bobby. I, for me, there's there's no question. Trask was best boy, and I miss him. He changed my entire outlook on Zubats. But, yeah, Bobby's been putting in the work for us. I... I, I think that's a pretty solid pick. I don't know if it's the one that I would make for you, but it's it's definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> no one's going to argue with why you chose that. Bobby has been a force for your team. Now, and this is something we talked about a little bit more in Series 1 that we haven't gone back and touched on as much this series. How do you feel about Holden 11 weeks later? You know, you came in, Totodile was your favorite of the Johto starters. You got to pick him up and he was really, really impactful on your team early. Um, but we've been through almost three months of gameplay now. How do you feel about your good, good for alligator here at the end of all things? I still love Holden. He's really solid. He's been with us the whole way. I still think Totodile is my favorite of the the gen 2 starters 
I just didn't find as many opportunities to make him useful over the course of the series as I would have liked. Part of that is because of the way his stats fall versus the way that typings are sorted into special and physical this generation. I mean, he can hit really hard with return, but he's got no stab uh, physical moves because water's special in Gen 2. And while his surf still does a decent amount of damage, as some of uh, your Pokemon can attest to, it's just not at the level that it should be. Like, a great example is that in PvP last week, Holden outsped Blizzard Celeste's Dragonite and didn't kill it. Four times effective Blizzard didn't kill Dragonite. It was close, but it was no cigar. If that had been any any other water Pokemon that I, I've had with me over the course of the two series, that Dragonite would have been dead. So, you know, that that's something I have to take into account. I I still think he's he's my favorite. I don't think I would have been as happy with the Typhlosion or Omeganium, and I'm glad that I picked him. Uh, but he hasn't been as impactful as I would like. He's got Earthquake, and I think I've gotten a chance to use it twice. Since you've had water for your starters back-to-back, how do you feel that Holden stacked up to Austin? I feel like he stacked up better, just because Austin... Austin was another Pokemon that I felt didn't really get a lot of opportunities to shine. Austin struggled in PvP a lot. Something that Holden doesn't have as much trouble with. Like, he still puts in work. It's just not as much work as I'd like. And it's hard to say. Austin's untimely death kind of just... It makes it hard to weigh apples to apples, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. That's very fair. Um, Now, going back to your current team, to the boys that you have with you, or the boys that you've had with you this series, I should say, not just your current team, uh, who was your most surprising success? Like, who did you give a shot that maybe you weren't sure of, maybe you didn't know if they were going to do good work for you and just really exceeded your expectations? I don't think there's any question there for me. It was Trask. I hated Zubats coming into Gentoo. Hated them. Like, they were my least favorite Pokemon. And now Trask is best boy, even po- post-mortem. Like, he did work for us, even as a Zubat. He was still a little tiny Zubat when he took out that Bayleaf and saved us from the TPW. You know, in PvP, his crits and his speed made a ton of difference for us. And honestly, if he hadn't died, he would still be with us here at the end, even if it wasn't optimal. Just because he he really was best boy. I will never look at Zubats the same way again. And I am running a Crobat named Trask on my Ultra Moon file. Just because he made a big impact on, you know, my opinion of that Pokemon line. Yeah, I'm not surprised by your answer. I would have been surprised if you had picked anything else, honestly. Now, of the Pokemon that you've used this series, who was a disappointment for you? Um, Who didn't perform as well or live up to the expectations that you had for them early? I didn't make too many team changes over the course of the series. And I feel like when I did, they were for, for good reasons. And it wasn't necessarily because I felt they were underperforming. Like... The biggest example of that is swapping out Nagata for Kazmir. Nagata had been absolutely instrumental up until the switch point. But with the changes in your teams, it didn't make sense to leave her on the squad. Kazmir just brought more to the table with its immunities and its also high special attack. 
if I have to pick one, I actually think I'm going to pick Murtry. And it's not because I don't like Murtry. I, I like him a lot. But I always felt that he had to be held back for a lot of things in PvP. And that there was legitimate danger a lot of times putting him out in gym fights. Like, I need him to counter Sazerac, and I need him to punch Salty, and I need him to hit that fucking Snorlax. But the reality is, he rarely saw play. He came out when it was important, and he did his job. And I'm very happy about that. He's a good, good boy. But ultimately, I didn't feel like I got what I wanted out of that slot on my team as often as I would like. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does, and that's really fair. I think, if anything, Murtry might be another great example of a Pokemon that was held back by the poor design in TM availability in Gen 2. Because, like, if you could have given, reasonably at least, if you could have given Murtry TM moves like Rock Slide, and, well, I mean, technically you did have an Earthquake TM, so you could have given him Earthquake, but still, if you could have given him a better move set with better spread coverage, it w- he would have been a whole different Pokemon. Yeah, he he really would have been. Like, I still have, what is it, Vital Throw, I think, on him right now, which I never use because he's got to go last to use it. Not that he's super fast, like most of the time he's going to get hit anyway, but I don't need the move to take away my my opportunity off of Quick Claw to go, to go first. So, yeah, if he had Earthquake and Rock Slide, it would make a big difference. Like, in hindsight, I regret not giving him Earthquake because it hasn't been impactful on Holden, and Earthquake is such a good move. But you try to make the best decisions you can with the TMs when you get them. It didn't pan out this time. I'll remember it for next time. That's that's more than fair. Now, lastly, and, and again, I'm pretty sure I'm going to know your answer to this question, but Messer Engine, uh, you know, we all encountered numerous deaths in this series. Of all of the deaths that you experienced, which one was the hardest for you to bear? Well, I don't have any to choose from because I lost four Pokemon this series. I lost Juan Lee, uh, Lopez, Trask, and Ren. That award has to go to Trask because... I lost the other two way too early for me to get emotionally attached to them or for them to put in significant amounts of work. Ren had just joined the team like that week uh, when she died. So there was that. And Trask was best boy. Like he, he did so much. I was so devastated by that death, that crit, you know, from just full to nothing on a move that isn't guaranteed to hit mind you that i i was really concerned i was about to go on tilt for the rest of the elite four and the champion and i was going to tpw and it was really hard for me to keep just keep it together because like i said it's not every day that you play a game and get your mind changed so much about something and that's what trask did for me so his death made me really upset i think i was bumming for days afterwards i think you asked me like that weekend after we recorded how i was holding up and i was like i i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) i i can't even now i feel really bad about his death because i really wanted him to be here at the end with us and he's not and that sucks but 
you know, it's a Nuzlocke. Crits happen. And, you know, he's he's looking on from, from the grave, giving us the high five, or the high wing, or whatever you want to call it, for, for doing so well. Yeah, that was that was a rough one. And, you know... <sighs> That's something very unique about playing these games this way is, you know, you you make legitimate emotional connections to these fictitious creatures and then like you mourn them like you legitimately do. Like, I I don't know if I'll ever forget, you know, it was we were putting the discord together right around the same time we had the mid-series finale and right around the same time that Trask went down. And so one of the very first things that I did when I was setting up our community discord and, you know, adding channels and emotes and doing all sorts of fun things to make it good for everyone is I put in the Trask emote and I didn't say anything about it. I just waited for you to find it. And when you did, you posted it just by itself, no message, nothing like five times a day. And I knew that it had done its work. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was so excited to find that. And I was so touched. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) All right. We're about to start like crying and shit on the podcast. We got to knock this shit off. Um, All right. So as with uh, our series one finale episode, I do want us to give our thoughts on each other's teams as well. Um, Obviously, you know, mess you played and connected with your team, but we had to face down these monsters every week in battle. So maybe our perspectives are a little bit different than yours. Um, so I'll let you go first, Celeste. Uh, out of all the Pokemon that Messer Engine has fielded, out of all of the beasts that you have had to face in PvP week in and week out, who do you think the MVP of Mess's team was, and why do you think that? It comes down between Mess's two giant hard-hitting walls, and it's actually the one that doesn't hit as hard it would be Burton, because not only can it heal itself, but it has that utility in rest talk and is able to stall and cause a lot of problems for most of my team. And it's pulled off a lot of wins for Mez. It, that's really fair. Burton has had a, it. It's been like a quietly successful run. Like, you know, we don't talk about it much, but yeah, Burton has been very, very powerful in PvP. So for me... And I don't think you're going to see this one coming, buddy. I I think the MVP of your team has legitimately been Casimir. You know, you you did a lot of things that really shook up our competitive meta right around the first or second week of, of Kanto. And, you know, yes, those included the big flashy things like adding Bobby, who has been a force. Bobby has been a legitimate nightmare to deal with and probably deserves the award. But Casimir with his immunity and normal type moves, with his destiny bond that you have been so successful in predicting and employing, like you've turned legitimate disadvantages and being on the wrong foot into a neutral situation in a moment by outspeeding with destiny bond. And it seems like we never predict it. It's Casimir has been a nightmare. And I really and truly think that you would not be sitting in first place right now if you had not gotten him out of the bank. No, that's fair. I, I, to be honest, I heavily considered him. The normal immunity switchins alone have been uh, extremely powerful, as has Destiny Bond. But I always feel like Gengar, in particular, because of what his set is, and because of after the uh, the special defense, special attacks, but is is much more vulnerable. Like he takes a lot of damage. Like using him well is really hard. And that 
without good predictions, he would not be a force on his own, if that makes any sense. Whereas, you know, Bobby is just a monster all the time. Like, even a poorly executed monster is still a monster. But yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And he, I think he definitely takes the honorable mention uh, from me, regardless. Well, awesome. And, and if anything, I think what we've just highlighted is the fact that Messer Engine had a really, really good fucking team. Like, I have a feeling that when we get to my team, there's not going to be this much debate. <laughs> but I actually, I'm not going to go next. Instead, I'm going to let you go next, Celeste. Um, so... Again, you've had the same experience. You've put the same 11 weeks in. And you've had probably the most tumultuous run out of any of us, uh, which makes sense. This was your first series. You didn't have the experience of red, blue, and yellow to pull on like Messer Engine and I did. Um, so you've had a lot of changes and a lot of ups and a lot of downs. So, Celeste, how do you feel about your Crystal series now looking back at the end? I had a lot of fun with the series. Um, it started out really rough with PvP. Um, I could not win a match until our uh, mid-finale, our Elite Four battles. Um, a lot of that was due to an experience. A lot of that was to some poor team building that I had to learn with. As far as early game, I had a lot of frustration with certain Pokemon that just didn't perform as well as I thought they would. And it has come into my team building through a lot of things. I'm not proud of using the uh, X-Attacks and items like that as much as I did, but actually the amount of Pokemon that I'd lost to things like Price and Misty, I just couldn't take falling so far behind. So I kind of just talked myself into using something that was within the rules, but is still kind of, I, don't, I feel it's sketchy and I feel bad about my red one. I would, if I could go back, I probably would go redo it. So, Celeste, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, interject and i'm sorry to do so but i just want to throw out we give you shit for using all those vitamins on on odin okay we're just talking shit we're just razzing you like that was totally within the rule set and you know when we talked about this earlier in the week the the comparison that i made was the new england fucking patriots like everyone talks shit and calls the the patriots cheaters and i'm no fucking exception i'm a colts fan so yeah fuck new england uh super bowl weekend right now fuck you new england patriots but at the same time, there's a reason that it seems like the Patriots find some exploitation in the rule book every fucking year. And every year there's a new rule book that makes the shit they just did illegal. Like it's not, you, you broke no rules. You found a hole in the rule book and you used the shit out of it to win. And that's not wrong. Like if anything, more power to you. Again, we may make some adjustments to the rule set moving forward. But it was in no way immoral or illegal. You just found a good way to win and you used it. That's fair. It just still feels sketchy to me. But again, this is my first Nuzlocke. I don't have a lot of experience. I've lost, what, if I if I count 11 Pokemon this run? Which is a metric shit ton. I, I mean, that's, what, 220 points just down the drain just from losing Pokemon. I'm actually amazed that I have... I'm in third right now, but I'm not too far behind. It's just crazy. As far as mid-game, I think I hit my stride in PvP. Um, I didn't win every game, but being able to go against you, in particular Jolly, and actually win after the 4 was really good. I did get some bullshit crits. I, I won't lie, I've been getting bullshit crits all ever since then, which have caused a lot of chaos. Rachel has been 
a crazy critting burb. That's all there is to it. I love you, Rachel. <laughs> and then Mez not having a full team just kind of opened up the, my place to catch up and not and close the point gap, and that really helped me out. As far as Kanto, Kanto has been a mixed bag for me. Misty was just as much hell for me as it was for you, Jolly. But the worst part was losing that Kangaskhan, who was going to be a major part of my team building. I had given it sleep, talk, and rest. And those TMs were gone right after Misty. And then losing my Jolteon really hurt me because I lost my ability to speed up my Marowak to actually make him a very scary force. And he's still a good Pokemon. He still can do a lot of work. But without that agility, it's a little harder for him to actually perform as well as he used to perform. Now, after that, having that Larvitar was going to be awesome. <laughs> and... I can't believe the way I lost that. That was that was very sad. And yeah, there's not much else to say about that. But to summarize everything, I've had a lot of fun. It's been very tumultuous, but it's made going through this series more entertaining than it would, would have been otherwise for me and probably the listeners as well. Well, awesome, Celeste. Now, I'm going to pose some of the same questions that I did to to mess to, to you, of course. Um, so if you had to pick one through your entire series, who do you think is the MVP of your team and why? Rachel. She's performed way beyond expectations and has won a lot of PvP matches that I should have not have won just from her crits. Okay, that's fair. Um, we're showing a lot of love for the Shinies tonight, and that's more than reasonable. Now, you didn't actually get to choose your starter. You were stuck with Locke. You were the last one to draft, and that was the hand you were dealt. A 11 weeks of gameplay later, how do you feel about your Typhlosion? Are you happy that he's the one that you got, or do you wish that things had gone a little differently? Honestly, I wish that things had gotten a little different. Starters, for me, I, I feel like... Having a starter that starts out slow and then becomes powerful later on is kind of frustrating, especially in Nuzlocke's, because it's with you throughout the entire game. And if you don't get anything decent at the early game in a Nuzlocke, you can usually count on your starter. But Locke, in PvP and in a lot of the early gems, just struggled. Like, Locke was not useful versus Morty at all. And it, versus Price, Locke was not even remotely anything of a savior because i couldn't use fire and so it just made the game really rough and he's gotten a lot better and done a lot of good things but he's just really it took him way too long to get there that's fair if if you could go back if you could have first choice which starter do you think you would pick now after your experience in the series that for alligator definitely that for alligator that's fair. <laughs> now, um, out of the Pokemon that you have used in this series, who surprised you? Who was a much better team member than you anticipated? Um, I would have to say Gogo, uh, the Hypno. Even though I have benched him, he saved my entire team versus Price by taking a hit that he probably should have died to and then turning it around and actually winning versus that Dugong. Yeah, that's a solid pick. I was actually I was pretty bummed when you benched Hypno. I understood the the logic and the competitive reasoning behind it, but but Gogo was a good good boy for you. Now the, the reverse of that question: Who disappointed you? Who did you bring in and expect big things from, and then were pretty let down by the actual results that you achieved? Well, that's a harder question. I'd have to say I, I haven't really been disappointed by my Pokemon. I've pulled in 
and they've all done what I've wanted them to do for the most part. I guess the most disappointing Pokemon that I had on my team at one point would have been Strago. He did a lot of work and a lot of things, but he also had a lot of issues. That's sad to hear. Strago was damn near your best boy. <laughs> damn near. If anything, I would have figured that you would have picked Daryl. Like, it always seemed like Daryl was not quite giving you what you were looking for out of her. Uh, I like Daryl. Daryl only got replaced because I had no room for her still. Okay, f- fair enough. It's your team, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, now, of the deaths that you experienced, and you did experience quite a few of them, which one was the hardest for you? Which one was the most difficult to deal with? Edgar. Hands down, Edgar. I love that, Quagsire. I wish I still had it. Yeah, that was that was rough. That was really rough even for us watching, I think. Again, my my justification for it deep down in my heart and soul was that that was the final destination of Pokemon. Calling Edgar back after his <laughs> very, very lucky win against Whitney, where he probably should have died then. So, but yes, that was that was absolutely brutal. And Edgar was missed. Now, of course, again, we do want to give our opinions on your team as well. And, Mess, I'll let you go first. In your experience, having faced off against Celeste week in and week out, who do you think Celeste's MVP was? So, you're probably going to laugh, but for me, at least, like, my interactions with Celeste's team, her MVP is Locke. Because Locke regularly fucked me up. Like, when it comes out, it has Thunder Punch for coverage, so I can't water it to death. I have no uh, ground or rock Pokemon hanging around just to do shit with. It one-shot Murtry more than once this series. It was always the Pokemon that comes out, and I can anticipate that it will do a shit ton of damage on Fire Blast before it goes down. And if I try to switch in, it's going to Thunder Punch me to death. It's really, really bad. My best weeks dealing with that Typhlosion have been Destiny bonding it while it murders me. So, for me at least, it's Locke. It took a long time for it to get there, but as soon as it was in play, it was a nightmare to face every week more so than every any other pokemon on celeste's team earlier in the series it would have been gogo but because it got benched before you know things got really competitively close i i can't give it to gogo that's a really good pick and that's probably my honorable mention Locke was extremely strong in the later sections of, of pvp for certain and even in the earlier sections once Locke got that that fire blast out of the, the goldenrod game corner, even as a Quilava, like he was still pretty freaking threatening. Like you could kill him, but he was going to put some dents before he went down for me. However, I can't give Locke the MVP and it's going to seem strange because my MVP is one that did get benched though, not out of desire to bench him. My MVP for you, Celeste is, is Ultros just because when you started using Ultros was, I feel like, the real turning point for you in PvP. That's when you stopped getting lucky and winning and started just winning. 
just winning outright based on on skill and team building. And Ultros was a big, big part of that. It's huge bulk in special defense. It's ability to hit really hard, both physically and specially with different moves. Um, it's ability to provide confusion support, which it seemed like it hit with Supersonic way more than it had any God-given right to. It was just a fucking monster. And, and even not Ultros, Orotumasu, or whatever the fuck his name is. Um, yeah, he's been a good Tentacruel for you, and, and he's had some impact competitively, but Ultros was just a fucking monster and deserves recognition for that. Yeah, I can see that. It really sucked to lose Ultros, honestly. The shiny Tentacruel is good, but just not as good as Ultros was. Yeah, and, and again, Ultros... The the big difference for me, at least, is that Ultros had Sledge Bomb, which made him murder the shit out of Mojito. Your your current Tentacruel is really, really good, but Mojito walls him. And that was not the case with Ultros. But yeah, he was a fucking phenom. Yeah, it would have been nice to get that shiny Tentacruel before using Sledge Bomb. And then that would have been mute. I'm really, really glad that you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's your guys' series. So I'll go ahead and talk about mine. I feel really, really good about this series overall. I, I don't feel good about everything that, that happened in this series. Um, and quite frankly, I feel like the team that I am fielding is significantly weaker than my red, blue, yellow team, um, due to deaths that I've experienced and also just due to the way that my encounters have fallen and the way that gold and silver are designed again with the lack of uh stone and tm availability and all that stuff so that's frustrating for me as someone who really enjoys team building in pokemon like i just i look at my team and i love them but i feel like they could be better and that frustrates me but i love them dearly and and we've built a really cool and solid team i'm so happy that i got the opportunity to use a slow bro again and to really turn around that negative experience that we had with Glenn Livet in PvP and turn it into a really positive one with Bumbo. I- I'm really happy that I used really all of the Pokemon that I used. They've they've all been fantastic for me. I think the only real sour note for me was was Moscow, and it wasn't even that Moscow was bad. It was just that he was a gamble and that gamble didn't pay off. And we knew that going in. The team has been good. The run has been good. Misty was a really sour sticking note, and it was mostly sour because it was so much my fault. I left Columbia in the bank. I I didn't prepare. I didn't think. I just went, it's fucking Misty. It'll be fine. It's fucking Misty. And then got murdered thoroughly by fucking Misty. So that was probably, that was the low point, I think, of the entire podcast for me at this point. Not because I got my ass beat, but because I got my ass beat for being fucking stupid. I'm really, really proud of you guys. Like, I can't state that enough. I've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times, kind of part in the kimono a little bit, that I try to find small ways to handicap myself, not big ways, because I don't feel like that would be entertaining for anyone. But, you know, moments where I go, let me take the the slightly, the less conventional method and see if I can win with it, because I do have more experience and I feel like it's more fun for everyone that way. I'm not doing that anymore. I may make unconventional choices from time to time because I think they'll be good or they'll be fun for me, but handicapping myself is completely out of the equation because if i do you're gonna fucking stomp me because you have become monsters competitively and i am very proud of you guys for that i just i feel really good i feel really good about the podcast and the quality of the product that we're producing 
I feel really good about the streams and the community that we fostered. And I feel really good about the last 12 weeks of gameplay overall. This has been an excellent series, and I am so proud and happy to have shared it with all of you and with my good, good Pokemon. I'm so happy that I caught Stormy, our first ever shiny. Even if I hated having to use her at first, she really grew on me, and her death was really a bummer. All in all, this was a great series, and I could not be more excited for the next one. So, yeah. MVP for you? Um, if I had to pick one MVP, and I almost don't want to because I know that you guys are going to, <laughs> because you hated her, but it, it has it has to be Columbia. She was the glue. She was the glue of the team. Just like Amaretto was for me in series one, a lot of the good things I was able to accomplish in PvP was because I had that consistent, fast, bulky support Pokemon who could just come out and put things to sleep and paralyze them and spread leech seed and just, just in general be a huge nuisance and open up holes for the rest of the team to be successful. She was amazing and she will be incredibly missed tonight. No, I, I totally agree. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but uh, <laughs> who was your surprise standout? Your team changed a lot over the course of the series and sometimes because bad things happened, so who did you, you pick that you just expected to be headed to the bank after like a week or two and just stuck around? Honestly, Mojito. When I talk about those small things that I would do to handicap myself, picking Mojito was one of those. Uh, Meganium is widely considered to be the worst starter. Not just the worst of the Gen 2 starters, but the worst starter in the entire franchise. And so I was like, okay, she, you know, he's kind of difficult to use. Um, so that'll be a nice challenge. It'll be fun and it'll be good. So I picked the Meganium and he's, he's been really solid, never really a monster, but I didn't expect a monster out of him, but his performance has been really consistent to the point to where I didn't bench him when I had intended to. I also expected him to be more of a support Pokemon on the team, and I tried to use him that way for a long time, and he was fairly successful at it. But if you look at his moveset now, he's just like bulky hyper offense, and he wrecks with it, and it's amazing. Uh, Mojito has been a good, good boy, and I am very happy that I picked him. Yeah, I I can definitely agree with that. I did not expect Mojito to be as threatening as he is on a regular basis, so... I can definitely uh, agree with that that pick there. On the flip side of that, who did you pick up that you were like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then we're like, nope, 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 to the bank with you. Or <laughs> just kept on the team because you had to and just didn't deliver, you know, what you wanted out of them. I mean, I already kind of spoiled this a little bit, but that, that has to be Moscow. And again, that's not in any way an insult to the Toad. Like, he was a great boy, but... The strategy that I was employing with him had holes a mile wide and you guys immediately identified them and drove fucking trucks right through them, which again, I could not be more proud of you for because I expected it to take weeks and it took one, one week for you guys to identify his weaknesses and attack them. So good for you. Um, but that did leave me in kind of a rough place that I had to adjust from. And that's why he ultimately wound up going back in the PC. He's a good boy and I miss him. And he did good work, uh, at least for the week that I introduced him. But yeah, definitely not the performance I was hoping for. 
Moscow is entirely the reason why Casimir came out of the bank. So I'm sure everyone's regretting that decision. <laughs> <laughs> who who was your, your, your hardest death? You've had a bunch. You didn't necessarily have a Four Loco moment entirely this series. Well, maybe you did. But, but who was the hardest to stomach? You know, all of the Misty deaths were really, really hard. Like, these were Pokemon that had been on my team for a very long time, that had been very good, and losing all of them at once was painful. And so it's very difficult to choose between them, but if I had to pick one, it's definitely Gimlet. Gimlet was probably the MVP of Johto for me. Uh, well, I mean, no, Columbia was the MVP of the entire fucking series, but discounting Columbia, Gimlet was fan-fucking-tastic. He was incredibly bulky. He hit very, very hard with Earthquake. He was just super good. He was the anti-bat. <laughs> he went out as a desperation move, and he saved the run, but it took him down, and that was really hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember going back and rewatching that fight afterwards, and... Bringing Gimlet out was absolutely 100% in hindsight the right decision. It saved you from a TPW, no doubt. But it, it did so at the total cost of, of Gimlet's life. He, he gave his life for the team, and that's reasonably all I could possibly ask for him. All right, so Celeste, who do you think that Jolly's MVP was since we've had to, you know, just PvP with him for 12 weeks? You know, what... What was the most valuable player on Mr. Jelly by Nature's team? Well, it'll come as no surprise as Columbia. I feel like every week I was trying to figure out how to counter that, and I could never do it, even if I had the right berries on the right Pokemon. Columbia would come out, use a different thing, and then switch in and just cause all sorts of chaos. Yeah, I I gotta say, Columbia gets my vote too. The Johto special will go down. <laughs> in history as the murderer of gym leaders co-competitors like leech seed and sleep powder on demand was the biggest nightmare for me in pvp this season i watched you drop like a steelix with leech seed not to mention a bunch of other gym leader pokemon just by sitting there being like hey sup just gonna wait this out be right here. It's good. I don't think you would have had nearly as good of a game as you did without her steadfast support uh, and status. So, gotta give it to the Blueberry. I'm not sad that I don't have to fight her tonight, but I am sorry uh, for you that she's gone, because she was a good, good girl for you the whole whole series. Yeah, and, and on that note, it's time for us to say farewell to our fallen, and I was the only one who had a death this week. So I'm going to take a minute, and I'm going to say goodbye to our, our dear sweet Columbia. Columbia, you were the best girl. Hands down, you were, you were the glue. You were the glue that held the team together. And we would not be here. We would not be in a position to still possibly win if you had not been so strong and brave 
and good. I I miss you. I'm going to miss you in PvP tonight. And I will never look at Jump Fluff the same way again. You were the best. Thank you for everything that you did for us. We only won because of you. Now, we can't say goodbye to all of our Fallen from this series, because this is already probably the longest podcast we've ever done. But quite briefly, I think it would be appropriate for us each to say just a few words. To all of my dear friends, your sacrifices got us to where we are right now. Specifically, to Stormy, and to Sangria, and to Gimlet. I learned from my mistakes. You didn't die in vain. We're here, and it's thanks to you. So, Juan Lee and Lopez, you made sure I got through Whitney, because frankly, things were real bad. So, thanks for that. I didn't get to know you as much as I would have liked to, but that rollout, that rollout. Ren, you joined the team because simply fuck Jolly. And Karma decided that that wasn't a good enough reason for you to be on the team and you got crit hyper beam to death. So I will now respect the universal law better. Sorry that you had to die, but at least you get to hang out with Edgar. And Trask, best buddy, we did it. We got to the end and we're in a real good position to win. And part of that is because you fucked up that Machamp before you died. So, thanks for helping me get there. Thanks for being the pal who fucked up that Bayleaf and Meganium every time we fought our rival. You'll be best. Edgar, you are an amazing, amazing smiley boy. And losing you to a equally smiling dugong was the worst moment of this entire series. And... I really wish you were still here. Um, Lakshmi and Kefka, you were both on the team for like less than two hours and you were going to be amazing. And due to some bad luck and a mistake, I lost you both. I, yeah, don't know what to say other than sorry. We honor those who have fallen, and we fight on in your memory. Thank you. <sighs> okay, guys, gotta gotta shake the the sadness jeebies off. We got <laughs> we got a show to put on here. Um, so that was our last week in gameplay for this series and our look back at the series itself. But as always, we are not the only ones playing. Uh, we heard from a couple of you guys this week about your own Nuzlocke adventures. And as always, we do want to share those interactions with our community. Uh, now, firstly, this week brought another email update from friend of the show, Cameron Johns. Uh, Cameron wanted to let us know how his continued Pokemon Sud Nuzlocke with his campus Nuzlocke group was going. Uh, Celeste, would you go ahead and read Cameron's email for us, please? Sure. Hey there, Jolly Mez and Celeste. We have one new person in the Nuzlocke group, so we have not been able to really progress yet, especially since he got wiped by the fourth trainer at the trainer school. 
We've been waiting for him to catch up, so I just started doing a yellow nuzlocke with my roommate. Very casual, just for fun. Here's a quick recap of Sun and Moon. My team, Mr. Tumnus, or Melt Tumnus, the Pivoky Peck. Peter the Rowlet. And I haven't gotten any more because I'm waiting for the new guy to catch up, so I can show him the way around because he's brand new to Gen 7. Guy 1, Lip Boy the Litten, his Pivoky Peck, if you remember... Or if I told you, memory's failing me right now. Sadly got crushed. Guy 2, newbie, Poppers the Popilio, and Firebeak the Pickapack. As you can see, Burbs are as stable as a Nuzlocke, and happily we only lost one so far. I literally might rage quit if I lose Mr. Tumnus, though. Anyway, that's all I have for the update. Keep rocking, guys. Yours really, truly, and Lola, Cameron. Thanks, Cameron. I'm sorry that your run has stalled, sir, but it's awesome that you're getting new friends involved, and I really hope that you guys all have a blast. Uh, now, we did also hear this week from a new listener, Caleb Calyet. I hope I pronounced that right, Caleb. I'm so sorry if I didn't. Uh, Caleb is actually roommates with Cameron, who introduced him to Blastburn Radio, so thank you. We really appreciate it. Uh, Caleb wanted to reach out to us and let us know that he and Cameron have started their Pokemon Yellow Nuzlocke series, and that he's having a lot of fun with it, which is fucking dope. Uh, Caleb has managed to power through Brock with his Butterfree proxy, and is both terrified of and loving the danger of running a Nuzlocke, and the fear that the next move will be the crit that wipes out your friend, which we here on the show can definitely relate to. Uh, Caleb is also looking forward to Series 3 of the show, so thank you, Caleb, for your enthusiasm, uh, and thank you for writing in. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to hearing all about your Nuzlocke adventures. All right. Now, lastly, of course, we also heard from friend of the show and community moderator Pegasus League Live this week. And boy, it has been a roller coaster for poor Peg. I'll let him tell you guys all about it himself, though. So, Mess, would you do us the honors and read Peg's update this week? Yeah, absolutely. So Pegasus says, this is my final status report of Series 2. So a miracle happened today the day that the podcast is being recorded, I uncovered my phone. Thus, my day was destined to be packed to the max with Pokemon as I had Sabrina, Blue, a shift ton of grinding, and Red to deal with. I got through Sabrina and Blue with no issue, then proceeded to nab my last two encounters in the route outside of Mount Silver and Mount Silver itself. I found a Tangela in the route and failed to capture it, then encountered a Dawnfan in Mount Silver while weakening the Dawnfan with Cut I sort of spaced out for a minute, and that gave that fucking elephant more than enough time to bulldoze my sweet baby Mustang the Typhlosion into the grave. Mustang was with me since the beginning. That little fire porcupine held his own against the best of Johto and Kanto had to offer. He stood with me through every challenge. Even in death, he crashed the game so I could get a rock Godzilla to use if I needed it. Thank you for your service, Mustang. I'll never forget you. Then, directly after, the emulator crashed, probably overloading due to the intense fluctuation of emotions in its vicinity. The last time I saved was right after Blue, thus before the encounters and before Mustang's death. I consulted Jolly, and he judged that Mustang was considered dead and that the root encounter was forfeit, while Mount Silver was still valid. Before getting my Mount Silver encounter, I took the Magnet Train to Johto and got an encounter I had been saving, the Dragon's Den encounter. I caught Edward the Dratini, and he filled the empty slot of my team. I caught a Larvitar in Mount Silver, but the squad was already set. The boxing of our sweet Princess Nina was considered, but I decided against it. After a shit ton of grinding, I and the squad took 
stood against Red and slaughtered him no problem. It got a bit hairy when Nina stood against Red's espion, but she persevered and the squad scored a perfect victory. My amazing squad got me a Nuzlocke win. It's been amazing playing along with you guys throughout Series 2, and I know Series 3 will be just as great, despite the fucking water. Of course, my Series 2 gameplay isn't entirely over. I still have three hurdles to jump, one of which is reading this right now. Jolly by Nature, Mezzer Engine, and Celeste the Lost, I challenge you! Let's see who is the very best. Pokemon, Alive in the Box, 13. Final Week Deaths, Mustang the Typhlosion. Final Death Count, 14. Team, Hohenheim the Alakazam at level 72. Armstrong the Golem at level 72. Nina the Quagsire at level 72. Sloth the Machamp at level 72. Julia the Shiny Tentacruel at level 72. And Edward the Dragonite at level 72. Extra note. Armstrong finished off red. He shall forever go down in history as best boy. Armstrong is best. Thank you, Pegasus. I am so glad that you were able to recover and complete your run. The team has been so good for you this whole series, and they deserved to see it through to the end. All right, guys. Now, if you are a proud member of the Blastburn Nation and you are considering playing along with us at home, I would highly encourage you to do so. We are, of course, just about to start a brand new series, so it's never been easier to jump in and play along. Um, so definitely do so and, and get at us. We want to hear about it. Uh, be sure to contact us through email or social media uh, or through our shiny community discord and let us know all about how your Nuzlocke run is going so all of us who are a part of this community can experience Experience the highs and lows of your Nuzlocke run right along with you. Well, that's it, guys. We've we've discussed this week in gameplay. We've discussed our series as a whole, and we have heard from our friends. Now it is time for our final PvP showdown and to determine who our big winner and our big loser of our Generation 2 challenge are. Uh, now, coming into this week, Messer Engine was leading, but I had managed to cut his healthy lead substantially with my strong performance and sweep in PvP last week. Unfortunately, the loss of my happy little blueberry has helped Mess to recover slightly, and he comes into tonight with a more secure lead, bringing in 1,615 points. I am still in second place, however, and it's not over until it's over. My point total coming into PvP tonight is 1,565, and if I'm able to overcome the disadvantage of being down a friend, I could still potentially overtake Messer Engine for the top spot. Celeste the Lost remains in third place with a score of 1,525. Now, it is important to note that with tonight's PvP battles being worth 40 points up from the usual 25 due to the finale rules, it is entirely possible that Celeste and I could end in a points tie. In the event of a tie, it is broken by the winner of our finale PvP battle. So if Celeste manages to defeat me in PvP tonight and matches me in points, she will overtake me for second place and I will be the big loser of the series. Now, as always, last week's big winner in PvP must defend the stick first, and that is me. For the final showdown of Generation 2, I challenge you, Messer Engine. Let's go.
season two. We have Mezzer Engine in one corner and BB, BBR Jolly in the other corner. Mezzer Engine is leading with Burton, his Kingdra, and Jolly is leading with Bumbo. Are you two ready? Let's do it. Ready as I'm getting. All right, you may begin. Burton uses Dragon's Breath, knocking Bumbo down 90% of its health, and Bumbo hits Burton with a Psychic, which also lowers its special defense and knocks it down to 70% after leftovers. Another Dragon's Breath from Burton paralyzes Bumbo, knocking it down to 68%, and then a Psychic hits Burton for 54% of its health, and it leaves them at 22% and 74%. Burton uses Resks and takes another Psychic for 58% of its health. Man, that Psychic hurts when Special Defense is down. <laughs> yes, it does. Kamal, Mezzeringe's Ampharos, comes out and takes a Psychic for 33% of its health on the switch-in. Bumbo is slowly regaining health from its leftovers. It's at 86% now. Mojito comes out for Jolly and takes a Thunder for 24% of its health. And they're staring at each other. Bobby comes out for Mezzer Engine, who takes a Earthquake on the switch in, knocking it down to 75% health. Mojito uses Toxic and hits Bobby. Bobby uses Return, hitting Mojito down to 36% health. A Giga Drain knocks Bobby down to 43% health. And a Return knocks Mojito down to 11% health. They're staring at each other again. Burton comes back out for Mezzer Engine, takes a Giga Drain on the switch in. Burton's now 29% health, and Mojito's at 22%. A critical hit, Giga Drain, finishes off Burton. That clutch critical hit. Casimir comes out for Mezzer Engine. I think that crit's going to be huge. Me too. He uses Ice Punch and finishes off Mojito. Bumbo comes back out for Jolly. A Giga Drain hits Bumbo for 34% of its health, but and then a return Psychic knocks Casimir down to 6% health. Bumbo refuses to have Paralyze effect. Ah! Paralyze stops the Destiny Bond that Casimir uses. That was the worst. Mezzer Engine switches into Kamal, who takes a Psychic on the switch in for 35% of its health. Kamal uses Thunder and it hits, finishing off Bumbo. Kamal is at 32% health. Vesper comes out for Jolly. A Psychic from Vesper knocks Kamal down to 7% health, and Kamal paralyzes Vesper with a Thunder Wave. Fire Punch takes Vesper down to 85% health, and Psychic finishes off Kamal. Holden comes out from Mezzer Engine. A Surf from Holden knocks Vesper down to 71% health, and Vesper hits Holden down to 69% health with a Psychic. A Return from Holden knocks Vesper down to 47% health, and a Psychic takes Holden down to 38% health, and it's lowered its special defense. Vesper is also eating leftovers, so its health is going up by a little bit every turn. Vesper is fully paralyzed and takes a return, knocking it down to 32% health. Another return knocks Vesper to 2%, and a Psychic finishes off Holden. Casimir comes back out for Mezzer Engine. Salty comes out for Jolly. A Giga Drain knocks Salty down to 91% health. And Casimir is at 11%. Mercury comes out for Mezzer Engine, and Salty sets up a sunny day. Fire Blast hits Mercury down to 21% health, and Cross Chop kills Salty. Sazerac comes out for Jolly. Crosschop finishes off Sazerac with a critical hit. Good game, mess. And that is where Murtry earns his keep. And Murtry finishes off Vesper with a strength. Good game.
it, it was only that close because of a crit, so it's only fair that a crit ends it. Either way, it was a close and entertaining game. That was really good. Yeah, I after you killed Burden on that crit, I legitimately thought I was screwed. <laughs> oh, it was looking like I was going to wear the doof hat at this point. Uh, I, I'm just legitimately happy that down on Pokemon, I put up that good of a fight. I'm also impressed that you figured out and so thoroughly outmaneuvered my strategy for Bobby. So good game on that mess. I did go back and walk, look at your gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> I figured out before I looked what you had done. I just didn't know what was there. Cause you had said, I have I have a plan for Bobby, which meant you had a fighting move. And the only fighting move that you could have this late in the game on the team that you had was Dynamic Punch. I just didn't know who had it. Uh, and then I just went and looked it up. So, so I probably should have just kept my fucking mouth shut and just did it. But my plan for dealing with Bobby was to let him curse up and murder poor Sweet Mojito. And then switch in Vesper Psych Up to match those boosts. And then sweep with Dynamic Punch and Shadow Ball. That good, good psych up. And it would have been epic if I pulled it off, but this was an epic ending either way. And Messer Engine is now officially our Generation 2 champion. Neither of us can overtake him. So congratulations, Mess. Thank you very much. Congrats, Mess. All right. Now, as always, loser must give up the stick. So that means that our next match is going to be Messer Engine versus Celeste. Guys, are you ready? Yep. Yep. Okay, well, for the very last time in the gold corner, we do have our good friend Messer Engine, the well-oiled machine himself, our Series 2 champion, leading out with Holden, his best friend, his starter, his good for Alligator, and in the ambiguously colored for the very last time corner, the crystal corner, we have Celeste Lost leading off with her good, good Alakazam Elaine? I think that's the Alakazam's name. It's not properly named in Showdown, but that's fine. Guys, Oops. are you ready? Yes. Yes. All right, you may begin. And Messer Engine, not liking what he sees, immediately switches out of Holden into Kamal, his good, bulky Ampharos, eating a Psychic on the switch from Elaine for 41% of his health. Ah... Uh, Celeste, also not liking what she sees, switching immediately out of the Alakazam into Odin the Marowak. Uh, Odin switches into a Thunder Wave, which of course he is immune to as a ground type. And Celeste, I think, anticipating the swap, swaps back out of Odin into Bahamut, and she is of course correct. Messer Engine wanted none of that ground type and switched into Burton his Kingdra. It is Dragon v. Dragon. Oh, and Celeste goes for the Outrage, has that good Dragon-type coverage on Bahamut, her Dragonite, uh, dealing 74% of Burton's health with the Outrage. Burton goes for the Dragon Breath, which is also super effective, but only deals 39% damage to the Dragonite. After Leftover's recovery, Burton is at 32 in the yellow. And Burton switching back out in favor of Casimir the Gengar. Uh, Casimir eats an Outrage from... Bahamut on the switch for 43% of his health. A healthy chunk. Casimir does outspeed with the ice punch, however, and that is enough to bring Bahamut down, but boy, he punched some holes while he was here. And lock the Typhlosion coming out for Celeste. Casimir does outspeed with the Hypnosis, hoping to get some speed hacks. Uh, that Hypnosis does miss, however, and Locke hits back with the Flamethrower for 48%, leaving Casimir in the red and burned. 
Oh, and Celeste switches out, finally learning to anticipate that painful Destiny Bond into Odin. Uh, Messer Engine does click the Destiny Bond, which fails as nothing hits him. However, Casimir does go down to the burn. And Messer Engine switching back into holding his Feraligator against the Marowak. And Odin wants none of this and switches out into Orotorusu! Or Arorurusu? I... I don't think that's correct, but not Ultros. The Tentacruel, uh, who eats a Surf on the Switch, only dealing 11%, and then after Leftovers Recovery, it's still at 95% health. And Holden is brought back for Messer Engine in favor of Kamal the Ampharos, who eats a Giga Drain on the Switch for 14% health, bringing the Tentacruel back up to full. And the Tentacruel comes out in favor of Odin, the Marowak, Messer Engine seemingly anticipates this move and also switches out back into Holden, his Feraligator. And Odin stays in against the Feraligator, probably anticipating Mess anticipating a swap, and it appears that he is correct. Holden goes for the Earthquake, which only deals 29% to the Marowak. Uh, Odin, however, uses that powerful Bone Meringue, dealing 28 and 33% consecutively with the two hits, putting the Hurtin' on Holden. On the following turn, once again, Odin remains in, but this time Messer Engine is having none of it, going straight to the Surf and putting the Marowak down. And... Elaine the Alakazam coming in for Celeste. Uh, Messer Engine does remain in with Holden the Feraligator, who eats a Psychic, which is enough to finish him off. And Bobby the Ursa Ring coming out for Messer Engine. Let's see if Bobby can do the damn thing. And Bobby does eat a Psychic from Elaine the Alakazam for 49% of her health, putting the hurting on. However, Bobby gives as good as she gets with that good return, dealing 74% of Elaine's health. On the following turn, Elaine goes back to the Psychic for 48%, putting Bobby firmly in the red. However, Bobby does use Rest and heals off all that damage. On the following turn, Elaine the Alakazam does use Recover, healing back up to 76%. However, Bobby uses Snore, dealing 31% damage to the Alakazam. And on the following turn, once again, the Alakazam goes for the Recover, and the Ursa Ring goes for the Snore. The turn ends with Elaine the Alakazam at 66% health. And Elaine goes back to the Recover, healing up to full. However, Bobby does wake up and goes back to the Return, dealing 75% health, leaving Elaine in the yellow with 25. And Elaine goes back to the Psychic, putting the Hurtin' on the Bear, and that's enough for Bobby to go back to the Return and put the Alakazam down. Rachel the Shiny Pidgeot coming in for Celeste. And Rachel does outspeed and go for the return, dealing 37% to Bobby and bringing her down to the red. Uh, Bobby goes for the curse, I think, hoping that good defense boost is going to be enough to keep her around for another turn. Rachel goes for the mirror move and mirrors the curse of Bobby, matching those stat boosts. Bobby goes for a rest, however, and rests off all the damage that she has received thus far. Uh, Rachel outspeeds again and goes back to return, dealing 34% to Bobby. Uh, Bobby goes to Snore, dealing 21% to Rachel. After Leftovers Recovery, Rachel's at 85% health. Rachel goes back to return, dealing 39% to Bobby. Bobby goes back to Snore, leaving Rachel after Lefties at 70%. 
And Rachel does outspeed, goes back to the return, and that is enough to bring the bear down. Kamal the Ampharos coming back out from Esser Engine at 45% health. After leftovers, Rachel's at 76 with one stage up in both attack and defense, one stage down in speed. Rachel coming back out in favor of Locke the Typhlosion, and Kamal goes to Thunder but misses. That miss may be crucial to the outcome of this match. Locke goes to Flamethrower, dealing 33% to Kamal, leaving it at 12% health. In the red, Kamal goes for Thunder Wave and paralyzes the Typhlosion. Kamal goes back to Thunder, which is a crit, making up to some degree at least for the previous miss, and putting the Typhlosion down. And Rachel, the shiny Pidgeot, coming back out for Celeste at 82% health now, uh, goes into return, and that is enough to bring down Kamal. Burton, the Kingdra, coming back out for Messer Engine, uh, takes 35% damage from a return, immediately taking it down to a sliver of health. However, Burton does use rest and is recovered back up to full. Rachel's nearly full after leftovers recovery. Uh, Rachel goes back to return, dealing 34% to Burton. Burton uses Sleep Talk, which procs a Surf, dealing 40% to Rachel. Rachel goes back to return for 31%. Burton uses Sleep Talk, which procs a Rest, healing back up to full. And Rachel goes for the Wing Attack, only dealing 20% to Burton. Burton uses Sleep Talk, which once again procs Rest and heals it back to full. Rachel is at 72% after leftovers. Rachel goes back to the return for the 33%. Uh, Burton remains asleep, uses Sleep Talk, and again procs Rest, back up to full. Rachel uses mirror move, but fails. Uh, I, I'm guessing hoping for a rest, but really proccing uh, a sleep talk, which doesn't work. Uh, Burton uses sleep talk, however, procs a surf, which is a crit and brings Rachel down. That crit could also be crucial to the outcome of this match. Uh, not Ultros, the Tentacruel coming back out for Celeste is her last remaining Pokemon. Uh, Messer Engine has two remaining. Burton the Kingdra, as well as one remaining friend who has not yet seen the battlefield. I wonder who it could be. And the Tentacruel does use Blizzard, dealing 27% to Burton the Kingdra. Burton hits back with Dragon's Breath for 17%. And the Tentacruel does, of course, have leftovers and recover. And the War of Attrition is on, folks. Uh, Tentacruel goes back to Blizzard, dealing 29% to Burton. Burton wakes up, uses Dragon's Breath, which is a critical for 32%, and also paralyzes the Tentacruel. Once again... That could be huge. Uh, on the following turn, Burton uses Rest and heals off all damage. Uh, the Tentacruel uses Blizzard and misses. Burton the Kingdra uses Sleep Talk, which procs a Dragon's Breath for 16%. Uh, the Tentacruel uses Blizzard for another 30% on Burton. And they both recover with Leftovers. And Burton uses Sleep Talk once again, procking a Rest, which heals it to full. Uh, the Tentacruel goes back to Blizzard for 32%. Burton is fast asleep, uses Sleep Talk, which procs a Dragon's Breath for 16%, taking the Tentacruel to half health. However, the Tentacruel then uses Giga Drain, which procs Recovery as well as Leftovers, bringing it back up to 64%. Burton remains asleep, uses Sleep Talk, which procs another Rest, healing the full. Tentacruel uses Giga Drain, uh, dealing 14% damage, and after Giga Drain and Leftovers Recovery is up to 76% health. 
Sooner or later, one of these Pokemon will die, I promise. And it appears that Celeste has seen that this match is going to continue forever, but that she is slowly losing that war of attrition and has conceded. So Messer Engine has swept PvP for the finale week and has securely clinched his title as Generation 2 champion. Congratulations, Messer Engine. Good game. Thank you. Good game, Celeste. Okay, so we know who our big winner is. We know who gets to select his starter first and select our series rule, but it remains to be seen who our big loser will be. Uh, currently, I am in second in points. However, if Celeste manages to beat me, she will tie my points total and have won the tiebreaker with the PvP match. So, Celeste, are you ready to see who will wear the hat of shame in Series 3? Yes. All right. So, last match of Series 2 happening right now. BBR Jolly opening up with that Houndoom, Salty, his good, good dog, on which his kingdom is built. Celeste, on the other hand, opens with Bahumat, the Dragonite, opening to get off to a good early start. You both said that you're ready, so you may begin. Dragonite uses extreme speed, bringing Salty down to 60% immediately. Salty opts to bring out that sunny day, loving to lounge in the sun. Jolly switches in Bumbo, uh, who comes into an extreme speed, and after lefties is down to, or up to, depending on your opinion, 85%. Bumbo uh, takes a Thunder Wave and is paralyzed, but fights through the paralysis and blizzards taking out Bahamut the Dragonite in one hit. Out comes Alakazam for Celeste, uh, just in time for Jolly to switch in Vesper the Hypno, uh, who takes a Thunder Punch on the switch in and is down to 88%. Celeste brings out Odin to deal with Vesper, uh, who takes a Psychic on the switch in and is at 62%. Vesper recovers with lefties and is up to 94%. Bumbo comes back out for uh, Jolly and takes a Bonerang uh, on the switch in and is down to 45%. That that good strength attack stat uh, with the, the bone from Odin really wrecking house. Another Bonerang drops Bumbo. It's a crit. Uh, that poor dopey fish didn't stand a chance. Out comes Mojito for BBR Jolly. Uh, and opens up with a Giga Drain, uh, which brings Odin down to 1%. It is deceptively fast for a giant, I don't know what the fuck it is, plant monster. Uh, Mojito is down to 56%, though, from the return that Odin dished out after not dying to Giga Drain. Let's see what happens next. I feel like that failure to kill with Giga Drain probably just cost me this match, but we'll see. Earthquake from Mojito drops Odin for that extra 1%. Who's coming out for Celeste? It's Locke, the Typhlosion. Starter v. Starter. Okay, a flamethrower from Locke outspeeds. Mojito goes down, burning. Jolly sends out his own fiery Pokemon, Salty the Houndoom, returning to the match. It crunches on the attack ring, locked down to 63%, and reducing its special D. Uh, lock, however, Thunder Punch is bringing Salty down to 40%. Celeste brings out 
Orotoroso, the Tantacruel, who takes a crunch on the switch in and is at 81% after lefties. Out comes the Digital Duck, Sazerac, uh, who takes a surf on the switch in is at 73%, but I'm sure Celeste is having flashbacks to last week. Out comes Rachel, this matchup, which has been happening week after week. Sazerac curses up and starts to build up that defense. Rachel mirror moves uh, and ups its defense and attack, but Sazerac opts for a blizzard, bringing Rachel down to 25%. Rachel tries to use Toxic, but it misses something that may be crucial to this fight. Sazerac goes ahead and <laughs> downs Rachel with a return, unfortunately. Alakazam, Eleni Alakazam comes out for Celeste. Comes in, <laughs> comes in, uses Psychic on Sazerac, brings Sazerac down to 35%. Sazerac uses Return and brings Elaine the Alakazam to 1%. Another Psychic from Alakazam brings Sazerac down low, but a recovery brings it back up to 52%. Sazerac recovers again after taking a Psychic and is now at 64%, but his special D is down. Sazerac goes down to 12%, but returns and drops the Alakazam. I should have kept recovering, but I was worried that Special D drop was just going to kill me outright. Locke comes out for Celeste Lust and Fire Blasts Sazerac, dropping it down. Who's going to come out for Jolly now? Vesper the Hypno comes out, still at almost full at 99% to face off against Locke. Locke gets that critical hit that I was talking about earlier on Fire Blast, bringing Vesper down to 41% after leftovers, but Vesper uses Dynamic Punch. It hits and confuses Locke. That is a clutch hit. Out comes the Tentacruel to deal with Vesper. Oh, it switches into a Shadow Ball, going down to 74%. Locke comes back out uh, for Celeste. Now that the confusion is cleared, it also eats a Shadow Ball on the switch and is at 22%. Vesper at 53%. Vesper takes a Fire Blast, bringing it down to 16%, but gets burned uh, by the Fire Blast that Locke sent out. It is now at 10% and burned, and Locke takes another Dynamic Punch and is at 9% and confused. Locke punches herself himself in confusion uh, and is dropped down and out comes not Ultros the Tentacruel to tangle with Vesper who is burned. Jolly has Vesper at 16% and Salty the Houndoom left. A Surf makes short work of Vesper and now it is Fire Dog versus Giant Squid and it is no contest. Orotorusu puts Salty down with a Surf. The winner is Celeste the Loss. Good game, Celeste. Good game. Jolly putting in a lot of work in for only having five Pokemon. Holy crap, you ain't kidding. Ah, uh, yeah. I, again, again, I'm I'm happy that I put in the performance I did, despite being disadvantaged. Good game, guys. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Okay, so our final scoreboard, our final points total. Uh, Semester Engine picked up a big 80 PvP points on the finale, winning both matches, bringing his final total up to 1,680. 
85. Uh, my points total remained the same uh, at 1,565. And with her one victory at 40 points, Celeste brought her points up to match mine and tie with 1,565. In the event of a series tie, the winner is determined by the winner of the finale PvP battle, which means that our second place contestant is Celeste Lost, and I am the big loser on Series 2. Jolly, did I beat you by exactly 120 points? <laughs> did you... <laughs> did you fucking really? I think I did. <laughs> Which means the dogs wouldn't have <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. 1,695. No, no, you beat me by 130. Oh, you said 85 originally, I'm sorry. I misadded. I apologize. Yes, okay. you beat me by one by one hundred and thirty. The dogs would not have saved me. They'd have saved have me from the doof hat, but they would not have have won me the series. Vindication. <laughs> Good game, guys. Good uh, fucking fun. game. Congratulations, Messer Engine. I I really can't state this enough. You have fucking earned it. Thank you so much. It's been a crazy series, and I felt my PvP got so much better this season from last season. So it's it's good to see that pay off. Yeah, again, I I really can't overstate this. You're you're getting no more Mister Nice Guy out of Jolly. I am coming at you with every ounce of fury I have within me because now I know that you can fucking take it. Now you know that I will train bears. <laughs> I will ruin all your favorite Pokemon. Yes, yes, you are going to ruin for the for the love of god do not get a glide score i swear to god i will murder you in your fucking sleep <laughs> if you get a glide score <laughs> all right well that's that's the series guys that is all of season two thank you so much for experiencing it with us i i really can't overstate how much it means to us um now we want to let you guys know what you can expect as we're transitioning as with Series 1, we will be taking a short break between the finale of Series 2 and the start of Series 3. Next week, there will be an episode of the podcast. It will be our fourth Community Content Creator Spotlight episode with a very special guest. I am super duper excited to introduce you folks to this person. I I can't overstate that. Like, I'm legitimately still a, a little surprised and kind of catching up that they even agreed to do the show. So it's going to be an exciting one. I really hope that you guys enjoy it. Definitely stay tuned. Um, We will be back on Sunday, February the 11th with the first episode of our Ruby Sapphire Emerald series, uh, which will be the episode where we discuss the games. We set our rule set for Series 3, and we will, of course, draft our starters and our game versions. Uh, while our normal Blastburn Radio series streams are taking a break for this two-week period, we will each still be streaming fun stuff on Twitch, not necessarily on the same schedule as always, because I know that, at least for myself, I've got some conflicts coming up in the next week or two, um, but we will definitely be doing cool shit on Twitch, so be sure to follow each of our channels individually, uh, and follow us individually and the show on social media and we'll keep you updated on what you can expect and when so yeah let's go ahead and let these fine folks at home know when they can expect to see us on twitch for this week um so messer engine when can we expect to find you streaming so a little different than most weeks i'll also post this uh up on uh 
the Discord and our social media, but I will not be streaming this Sunday. It is the Super Bowl. As much as everybody hates them, my New England Patriots will be playing and I will be cheering them on uh, from my home here in the frozen north. So you will not see my bright, shiny face uh, tomorrow uh, on the 4th. Uh, I will be back on the 5th on Monday at 8 p.m. Uh, to 11 p.m. Eastern, as per usual, at twitch.tv slash engine. We're going to continue our grind to hopefully finish our Emerald Randomize before we start our regular Series 3 challenge. So make sure to stop by and say hello and tune in for all the randomized action. Now, do you anticipate, Mess, is this, do you think this is going to be the final stream of your Emerald series, or do you think it's going to take one more? It might take one more. It depends on how quickly we go, we get the grinding done. So we're, I'm basically at the episode where we were at this week, where I just have an enormous grind to do. Uh, I have to get like 10 levels on all my Pokemon, and I got to run through Victory Road. And with a randomizer, like, grinding is so unpredictable sometimes you have to find areas that actually have you know good pokemon in them with decent xp regardless of their level because sometimes late game areas with high level pokemon have garbage pokemon that don't give you much experience so it's it's been a challenge but i'm hoping to finish it this week if we can't it'll definitely be the week after Awesome. Um, thank you, Mess. Now, I will, of course, be streaming this week. I will be streaming on Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'm not sure yet what we'll be streaming. We do have our Pokemon Mystery Dungeon series, and that was a lot of fun, so I'd like to continue that. There's also a part of me that wants to do some showdown. I had a lot of fun doing showdown battle streams between our last series. So I feel like a return to that may be warranted. So we'll see. Uh, if you have any preference on what you would like to see me stream, definitely let me know on social media or in Discord. But I will definitely be live on Tuesday evening. I will not be live on Friday evening this week because that's actually when I am recording our interview for the next podcast episode. So sorry, guys. No Friday night stream from Jolly. I will be hard at work on the next episode of the podcast. So bear with me and we will get you as much good, good stream content as we can. I promise. Um, now, Celeste, you generally stream third in the week on Wednesdays. Is that going to hold true for you this week as well? Yeah, barring any emergencies, I'll be streaming on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as well as Thursday this week at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash Lost. Awesome, Celeste. Do you have any idea what you'll be streaming this week? Uh, it'll be my Pokemon Yellow randomizer that I have a laser kangaroo in somehow. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to see the continued adventures of God Snake and Laser Kangaroo. That'll be amazing. <laughs> Laseroo. I, I can't express to you how frustrated I am that, that you do a randomizer, which is normally really hard because of how random it is, and you get a Kangaskhan as your starter and get a Hyper Beam TM before level twenty. Like you're gonna be at the end of it, you're gonna be like, "Geez, guys, I thought I thought randomizers were supposed to be tough." <laughs> <laughs> It it was weird. That stab hyper beam in Gen One where it's broken as fuck. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> I, I have nothing to say. Maybe I should just redo it and see if I can get a higher difficulty. No, no, no. no. If anything, this is better. Okay. <laughs> Laser room must continue. Laser room must continue. Yeah. Okay. The spirit of Lakshmi lives on in Laser room. It really does. 
<laughs> awesome. Uh, now, all of you lovely listeners, we we want to hear from you, as always, whether you're playing along at home and you want to update us, uh, preferably by email at blastburnradio at gmail.com, uh, or if you want to chat with us or other members of the Blastburn Nation on our wonderful public Discord, come out and be a part of the conversation. Like, seriously, I can't overstate this. Hearing from you guys... And having you chat with us on Twitch and in Discord, um, and and cheer on your favorites and jeer for your villains, it it makes the series worthwhile for us. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, and and please keep it up. Thank you very much. All right, now as always, I do want to thank our hosts for joining us. Celeste, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Celeste Lost, and for now, that's it. Awesome. Thank you, Celeste. Now, Messer Engine, if our listeners want to contact you or if they want to check out your other projects, including Mythic Portal Games and Power VTT, where can they find you online? You can always follow me personally on Twitter at Messer Engine. Uh, if you want to check out Mythic Portal Games, we're in a bunch of places on the web, including Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Mythic Portal, and on Facebook, we are Mythic Portal Games. Uh, come check us out and follow us for all the updates uh, as they come out. Also, uh, we recently have a partnership with Power VTT, where you can get all of our now 6,500 plus assets as part of your 9.99 subscription to that virtual tabletop. You can check them out at poweredvtt.com. Awesome. Thank you, Mess. Uh, now, once again, I have been Jolly by Nature. I am your soon-to-be doofy jester of a loser. And you can, as always, find me streaming at twitch.tv slash jollybynature. If you want to reach out to me personally or just see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Twitter at BBRJolly. Or be sure to follow the show on Twitter or Facebook at Blastburn Radio. And we will, as always, keep you up to date on what all of our hosts are up to. Uh, now, as always, I do want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want to give a very special thank you as always to my co-hosts Messer Engine and Celeste for Blastburn Radio I am Jolly by Nature thank you for listening and we will see you next time see you soon folks see you next time ho and hype <laughs>